morning, everybody, and welcome to the general purpose, the January general purpose meeting of the Castor Valley Municipal Advisory Council. We are now in session. Uh, welcome everybody that's here in the room and online. And we'll start with uh, the Pledge of Allegiance. Uh, Councilmember Thomas, would you lead us, please? And to the Republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Thank you, Tojo. And may we have the roll call, please? Council Member Mulgrew? Aye. Or present. Council Member Padro? Present. Council Member Carboni? Here. Council Member Kilgrew? Here. Council Member Moore? Here. Council Member Thomas? I'm here. Council Member Prokopov? Excused. We have a quorum. Thank you very much. And at this point, um, we will open up for public comment for any item that is not on tonight's agenda. So if you wish to speak on, on any topic that is not on tonight's agenda, uh, please fill out a speaker card. You can find those in the back table, uh, bring them up to staff. Or if you're online, please just uh, hit the raise hand button at the bottom of the screen and you will be given three minutes to speak. Okay, well, I'll alternate between in-person and online speakers. First in-person speaker for open forum, Frank Mellon. Good evening. I appreciate the opportunity to chat. I'm not exactly sure of where what I've got falls, so I went with open forum. I, we have a presentation tonight from the sheriff's department about what's been going on. And I have a concern that prior to the holidays, there have been alleged incidents of violence and aggression that have taken place on the school campuses. Now, since there are no longer resource officers on the campuses, I have a couple of questions that I hope might be answered. One, when there has been violence, has the sheriff's department or the highway patrol been called in to investigate? Two, if they haven't been called, what is being done when there are reports from parents? Three, so the officers, whether it's Highway Patrol or Sheriff's Department, are uniquely trained in how to deal with situations that get out of control, particularly physical situations. And I'd like to know if the school district has done any reach out to either of the agencies to train teachers who are having to be there all alone in how to deal with defusing situations of aggression and violence. I'm concerned about this because even though I no longer have children in the uh, school, nonetheless, if I can hear about it and I'm outside of that framework altogether, what on earth is going on? And I would urge the MAC to ask the school district to come and pay a visit and address that. So I thank you. If I need to come back under item six, fine. If not, I'll I'll wait till after the, the sheriff's report is done. Thank you, Mr. Mellon. Thank you. 
We have anyone online that wishes to speak? Officer passed. Hello, good evening. I'm CHP Officer Potts. It's nice to see a lot of you here this evening. This is quite a big crowd. Uh, for December, CHP, we were extremely busy. We had our maximum enforcement period, so we were very proactive in police work. In the Castro Valley area, we issued 278 traffic citations. We arrested 13 drunk drivers. We had two felony arrests. We took 17 injury crashes, meaning anything that had a significant injury, and then 33 non-injury crashes. We recovered five stolen vehicles. Four of them were abandoned in the area, and we arrested, or and we recovered one vehicle with a driver in which he was arrested. We issued 79 verbal warnings, and those are usually indicated by the fact that we pulled over a potential drunk driver, and we just gave them a warning to make sure that they were driving correctly and we did not arrest them. Uh, and we issued one parking ticket. Everyone likes the parking ticket, so we only got one last month, but it was raining quite often. Um, the Castro Valley office is, I'm sad to report, is now completely closed to the public. So if you have any business with the Highway Patrol, you'll have to go down to our address at 2434 Whipple Road in Hayward. Uh, just because the CHP office is closed to the public in Hayward, or excuse me, in Castro Valley, it does not mean that we are going to stop servicing the area. It just means that our officers are going to change out and get their patrol cars from the Hayward area and then respond up to the Castro Valley area and remain on their beats throughout the duration of their shift. We combined the offices, uh, Castro Valley and Hayward, and that's actually cut down on some of our redundancy. We don't now have two uh, evidence officers, things like that. So we were able to send more officers back to the road to have more units on patrol in the area. Uh, we are, so if you have any issues, like you need to file a vehicle accident report, you can come down to that office. If you need a VIN verification or a ticket signed off, we'll be more than happy to assist you. Let's see, uh, we are still working on traffic complaints. Um, I'm kind of filtering most of the traffic complaints now. So if there's anything egregious, please call 911. But if you have a habitual problem in your area, uh, you can send an email to 345recklessdrivers at chp.ca.gov. And uh, we'll send our special enforcement unit out to the area to work on that issue. Regarding the school incidents, we do handle calls for traffic-related incidents at the school. Uh, things that happen more of like the penal code crimes, that would be the sheriff's office. And we are, do I have enough time? Or do I, have so. I have like two more things. Okay. <laughs> um, we are continuing with our reset, which is our regional sideshow enforcement team. Uh, we're still working with the Alameda Sheriff's Office, San Leandro PD, and Hayward PD to focus on preventing street sideshows and street racing within our community. And it's been extremely successful. Generally, those are on Saturday nights when people are out street racing. We have a coffee with a cop scheduled for Thursday, January 25th from 10 a.m. to 1130. And we're very excited because it's going to be at the new Pete's here in Castro Valley. So we'd love for you to come out, grab a cup of coffee, just have a casual conversation with us, introduce yourselves. We love to get to know the community. And Wednesday, January 24th at two o'clock here 
in this room, um, we have our age well drive smart. That's for our senior drivers who can attend a program. It's generally about two hours long and it's an education class uh, where you'll get a certificate and you can turn it into your insurance. And usually they'll give you a discount from insurance companies. So that is all that I have for this evening. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for being here and for the, the good work that you do. I have no more speakers for open forum. Thank you. Uh, we will close public comment, public announcements at this point, and we will move toward approval of the minutes from the October 16th, 2023 meeting. Everyone had a chance to review, and if so, are there any edits or upgrades? If not, we'll take a motion. I move to approve the minutes. Thank you. I'll second that motion. Moved by Council Member Moore, seconded by Council Member Thomas. Can we have a roll call vote, please? For approval of the November 20th, 2023 minutes, Council Member Mulgrew? Aye. Council Member Padra? Aye. Council Member Carboni? Yes. Council Member Killebrew? Aye. Council Member Moore? Yes. Council Member Thomas? Yes. Minutes approved. Next up. Pardon me. Next up is item six, uh, report from the Alameda County Sheriff's Office for the 2023 annual report. And we have the star of the show. I know. <laughs> Ruben Pola. So I'm here to uh, provide the, um, I guess, the 2023 crime report. But I just uh, couldn't help but uh, listen to the questions posed regarding the school resource officer questions. So if I could just take maybe one minute of the presentation to kind of answer uh, your, your question, sir, is um, I work during the days. I'm a Monday through Thursday person, and I'm, I'm, I'm working when schools are there. So I'm hearing the radio all the time. Um, the very first call that the school makes to our dispatch, and the very first thing our dispatch center does is try to get a hold of there's two on-duty school resource officers, even though they're not, they don't have a contract, they're still in that capacity and they've got a sergeant also. So there's a total of three individuals in our school resource officer unit that are that are working during the week. So they are the people that go to the calls first. If they are working, they are responding. Uh, if they're not working, then another deputy that's on duty uh, will respond. That, does that answer your question? physically when they they are working on the campus when they are called to handle a crime correct absolutely okay so uh it's going to be kind of hard i don't have a, a clicker but um i wanted to provide some information this presentation is kind of giving an overview uh of our mission uh, our vision some of the values that we have, uh, give you some ideas of some of the work that we've done here in the Castor Valley area. So this, this is the Castor Valley Mac. More importantly, to give you some uh, case histories on a couple of specific projects that you can kind of point to, uh, some crime stats, and also to kind of let you know what we're doing as far as community engagement. So our first slide, and, and I'm not really a big slide reader, but this is our mission of what our crime prevention unit does, which I'm a member of. There's uh, five uh, deputies and one sergeant, and we work Monday through Friday during most day shift hours. But our mission really is 
the same mission that all law enforcement has is to protect uh, and to serve. And we do that in a very advanced way here at the Alameda County Sheriff's Office. Um, specifically, our mission is to provide uh, crime prevention information, training to both people and businesses, and to really affect the root causes of crimes uh, as kind of put up in the 21st century police, which is probably the latest iteration of the uh, the tenants mores that govern my, my business. Next slide. So these are our Castro Valley 2023 crime statistics. Um, on the left, there's our, um, the actual, I'm sorry. We just can't see the, I know. the numbers from here. Yeah, well, yeah, I don't know what to say about that. Um, but they're here and then they're arrested. Maybe what we can do is we can post them online or you that can send them out or something. But yeah. Why don't you send them out to Scott? Yeah. What's that? They've already been said that. Tona, Tona was already uh, given a copy of this presentation. So you can folks can probably get it from her, uh, from the very best name, Miley's office. So anyway, those are the statistics uh, in terms of how uh, things were reported uh, in the Castro Valley area for 2023. Next slide. Um, we have various uh, activities under just uh, what we do as, as a unit. Uh, we've got many different um, activities. One is uh, one warm coat where we collect coats and distribute them. Um, we do different uh, engagement uh, ideas such as um, the Halloween uh, drive. Um, we do, we really partner with the uh, Rotary International. We partner with the uh, the Chamber of Commerce and other uh, various uh you know, groups here in the uh, community, uh, you know, Cherryland Community Association, which um, I uh, attend and speak at regularly. Um, but we really do our, these activities to really promote a sense of community. But more importantly, um, kind of like today when we were, I was listening to concern regarding our school resource officers, uh, for us to kind of answer as far as what um, what the sheriff's office is, is doing to address uh, crime problems. Um, on top of the uh, community engagement or different things that we do is we're a, a, an enforcement-oriented uh, group of individuals. Um, we, there's actually two, there's one person who was supposed to be here tonight, uh, Jordan Sanders, who's gonna be giving the presentation, but he and another deputy are out right now uh, doing uh, some follow-up and they're actually doing some enforcement. Um, these are some of the cases that we are involved in. Um, you know, on top of the, the myriad of different uh, duties that we have is if there was something that were happening like right now, um, I would respond to it like as a first responder, just like anybody else or anybody else that's on duty. But these are some of the uh, the guns that were taken out of the street here in unincorporated uh, areas of Alameda County, as well as uh, narcotics. Uh, these are, you know, security search warrants or car stops or, or different types of things. Next. We also do uh, community cleanup. Um, I wanted to provide some information regarding uh, the unhoused uh, efforts that we're doing to do um, resource allocation and outreach. But one of the biggest uh, issues regarding uh, Castro Valley right now is uh, the issues of homeless encampments. And these are encampments that have sprung up in different parts of this area. 
again, this is not a, an area or a problem specific to Castor Valley. It's a, it's a national, unfortunate epidemic. However, I wanted to let you know that my team is has the responsibility to address these issues, these kind of uh, community concerns. And some of these encampment cleanups can cost the county as much as between twelve and $30,000 per incident. So it's very important that we, number one, stay on top of it, uh, but more importantly, to address some of the underlying root causes. That's why we provide a lot of resources through uh, outreach and specifically programs like the CARES Navigation Center, uh, First Presbyterian, and a lot of other uh, NGOs. But here's some pictures. I'm going to show you some before and after of what encampments look like. Next slide. So these are the main encampments that we are aware of at this moment. Um, you know, there are stones throw away. Um, the addresses are on Roberts Court, San Lorenzo Creek. There are six specific uh, locations where um, the deputies that are associated with the uh, Crime Prevention Unit and our uh, brother agency, the Crime Reduction Unit, we are out there um, at these encampments contacting individuals, uh, trying to provide services. And then more importantly, uh, if they're in different spots, like you'll see, like, as you can see the blue, Caltrans property means that's state property. Uh, we don't have control. Uh, if there's a crime that happens like in front of us, we can address it. But as far as a, an actual cleanup or an encampment or to make someone leave, we have no, we have, we're kind of at the mercy of uh, the state in terms of the way Caltrans uh, posts. But when it says public works, that is what we have jurisdiction on. So as you, I've kind of, excuse me, um, there's, uh, I, I guess you can't see it, but pretty much other than the very first and number one, everything else is a, uh, an area that I, uh, I have jurisdiction in. So what we would do, next slide, is we would see, we'd walk into, like here's a, a, a case example. So we walk into Robert's Court. Does everybody know where Robert, Robert's Court is? Right, that's right there by, uh, for those of you who don't know, it's, uh, Crook Canyon Road and Castro Valley Boulevard, uh, and it's under the, the the giant massive freeway over on ramps and, and uh, overpasses. And if you go underneath there, you'll see these encampments that I'm talking about. So as you come down there, imagine we're all of us going and taking a trip and we're walking down there. We may or may not run into someone at this particular location. And if we do, we're going to offer them some services and you know find out what exactly is brought into that condition try to connect them with resources here in the community and then through the county. Um, if it's an area that we're, uh, like this one says Caltrans property, we would just simply notify Caltrans and let them know there's an encampment there, people are living there, um, you know, please take some type of, uh, of action to clean it up. And then we would notify uh, our partners in, in this process, with, which would be uh, Ms. Pabst and uh, her folks at CHP for them to also go out and con try to contact these folks. Next slide. So here's uh, an area where we do control. This is the public um, public property side. There's like a, this is Roberts Court, the star of Roberts Court, and to the right, the picture on the right is Castro Valley Boulevard. So this is what we first saw. Next slide. This is more details in terms of what you're actually seeing in an actual uh, homeless encampment. And then what we did is we contacted people. Um, we ended up uh, posting and the next slide. And then um, the county public works came and cleaned it up. 
great pictures before and after, but understand that the cost of this is very, very significant. And more importantly is these, you know, this, it isn't like we're one and done. We're constantly having to be out there monitoring these areas, documenting, offering services and posting for cleanups. And also at there at many times we're actually taking enforcement actions either through possession of narcotics or people that have warrants. So we're also taking it uh, at, at legal enforcement as well. Next slide. So here's another kind of give you the map. This is what we're kind of talking about. Um, you know, on November, there was a very specific cleanup that was done again on the public side of, of Robert's Fort. Um, and we, again, identified it. We know where they're at. It's the blue thing. What's interesting is the homes to the left are very, very affluent uh, folks that it can actually can see sometimes campfires. And we've got a lot of complaints from those people. We're trying to do our best to be out there to take care of these issues. Next slide. So this is another, again, another encampment. Is that there's this little sign that we usually post. Next one. We also had, there was also another uh, area there um, along the San Lorenzo Creek. A lot of these homeless encampments are on, on the creek. So we're constantly either in the creeks ourselves uh, or walking around and trying to uh, contact these individuals to try to find where these locations are. And, you know, this was a high, a lot of calls for service there at Crescent Avenue to Ruby Street by the A, you know, a Street Bridge. Um, a lot of calls for service. So not when you just have it in a homeless encampment, Often there's a lot of crime that occurs as a result of the problems that are there at the encampment. Next slide. So again, more B4s next. This is under the actual A Street, you know, kind of where the area where the, the street collapsed. This is the A Street bridge that's right there. So if you walk before, we walk down there and there's several encampments and people are tucked underneath uh, the freeway overpass. Next slide. And then this is the after effect. Again, these are, this is, a lot of work for our public works folks. Um, so continue on. So away from the homeless encampments, uh, we also do a lot of problem solving. So our role, obviously, in terms of enforcement, uh, in terms of homeless, uh, you know, encampments, um, we do a lot of working on underlying issues. So uh, let me bring a case study to you. You can't really see it because the, the words are scrolling, but there on, on Redwood Road, I want to bring your attention to it. And it's a location. Next slide. So on Redwood Road, which is funny enough, we're the, across from the old public library, the library that was uh, that was originally on Redwood Road. There was these couple of buildings that um, had been owned for quite some time. They let them go to seed, and they were a haven for uh, trespassing and illegal drug use. The businesses, because this is a neighborhood, on one side it's homes, and the other side it's uh, uh, commercial buildings. People were constantly uh, complaining about issues and gunshots, and we were. It was very dangerous for us, all law enforcement. We had, to, I, you know, I went in those homes many, many times, trying to root out if anybody was actually in there. Um, through problem solving, I determined that this was owned by a person, uh, you know, a person that was living in China, and their son was attending Berkeley. And through again, really focusing on the underlying issues and, and talking to them, um, I assisted them. Uh, to demolish these structures um, because, you know, all of the different uh, county ordinances that uh, go along with that. Uh, no small feat, but next slide. 
this is what it looks like today. They're no longer there. And it's almost like someone waved their magic wand, like no more homes, no more problems, no more issues, no more safety concerns for the community. Now it's just uh, a little fence in front of it. Next slide. Another case study is there at the corner of Redwood and Grove. Um, if you, those of you who know, uh, it's kind of like several different shopping centers. Uh, there's an El Rancho market across the street. There's a 7-Eleven and of course our favorite Trader Joe's, which I love. Um, at issue there quite some time, there was a lot of uh, issues, a lot of problems, uh, panhandling, and you could drive by and you would see problems. I mean, everybody knew that there were issues there. Uh, and it, they're right there, the panhandling, trespassing, public intoxication, drug use. Um, one of the things that we did, next slide, is we looked at, again, what are the underlying issues? Like, why is this shopping center, this, this intersection have so much issues? And first thing we looked at is this thing called crime prevention through environmental design, an old concept been around for quite some time. I was doing it back in the early 90s, um, but it basically says, okay, why are people here? What can we do about it? Um, the other issue is that the owners were experiencing a 30% uh, decrease in revenue. Uh, they were scared. They didn't want to call. They didn't know what to do. They didn't know how to do anything. And we just hadn't really looked at it from a very specific problem-solving look. Next slide. So that's the shopping center here. That's the El Rancho Market. And this little corner right here is a place that has just got a natural bench. You can kind of barely see it, but there was always people either laying there, laying in front of it, sitting on it or whatever. Next slide. That was a very, very simple thing. It's like, I don't know, it's like a thousand bucks. Someone came in, a uh, welder, and they basically put something. Now, it doesn't look really pretty, but it really solved the issue of people loitering in that shopping center. Next slide. Next door. So you can kind of see the 7-Eleven, and this is a, a, like a, an open lot. Um, this a picture on the right was every, all the time. Every time you drove by there, there was usually a person laying there or there was garbage there. Um, it had been going on for many years for those of you who know Castro Valley. Um, again, what are the issues here? Like, who owns this building? You know, what we, so identified the guy, uh, he lives in Pleasanton. This is an investment property and he was spending $800 a month in cleanup. And he was like at his wit's end. He was just like, oh my God, like no one helps me. I don't know what to do, blah, 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 blah. What was the issue? He goes, I've been wanting to put a fence here for years, but there's so much blah, blah, blah. And I can't, you know, navigate through all the different rules and regulations. Next slide. And then after we work together, drive by, it's all painted. It looks completely different and there's a fence in front of it. So again, we could do a whole class on how to navigate and get a fence put up at an abandoned place that has problems over many years. But I wanted to kind of give you an overview to kind of give you an overarching concern and an idea of some of the problem solving efforts that we're doing here in this community. Next. Uh, one of the biggest things that we did is we also looked at our business community. Um, we, uh, I think you're the wrong way. Well, maybe you were. Um, we looked at, you know, what is the issues regarding um, why these problems are happening? And we realized that we really need to work more closely with the businesses itself, like that shopping center at Redwood and Grove. I personally knocked on every single business, spoke to them, identified them, and then brought them to a meeting, actually in this room. And we did a lot of uh, de-escalation training and what to do and how to train these, uh, these business owners and their employees. And that's where we've had a lot of, basically a lot of uh, reduction 
in the calls for service uh, in 2023. Their revenue has increased and people feel more comfortable going and shopping uh, there at those intersections, especially the El Rancho market. It's phenomenal uh, takeout uh, for uh, Mexican food. Uh, those of you, it's a, 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 it's got the best breakfasts in the weekend. So just let you know. Next slide. Um, the last, I'm going to kind of close on um, one of the things, you know, you know, I was, uh, Jen, I want you to uh, cover your ears. I really believe that the Alameda County Sheriff's Office is the leader in law enforcement service delivery in this county, and some would say in certain respects as part of the state. One of the reasons, I believe, is our fact that we do a lot of engagement in the community. Um, you can see here, we've always been part of different, uh, you know, street fairs and vendor fairs or whatever. You'll see us all around. Matter of fact, on the lower left, we did a, I brought the pop, our little rock wall, little engagement activities in this big wall here to this parking lot to engage. We've never done that at the library before, but we wanted to do it when kids were out of school. But at the top right, that's the Castro Valley Boys and Girls Club. Uh, we're at a regular street fair, like we've always been year after year after year, but I had an idea that we should have a lemonade stand for these kids. And the sheriff's office supplied the lemonade, the kids uh, supplied their enthusiasm. We printed up these really cool signs and they went out and they um, gave away lemonade but as kid, little kids are all excited, they were asking for donations. So even though they weren't really selling lemonade, they were, you know, kind of asking people and people were good natured in this community. And uh, Boys and Girl Scouts at Castro Valley raised a thousand dollars in one day just because they partnered with us here at, the, at this, um, you know, during this event. Uh, and then what I want to do is we have a really awesome media center um, where we they tell stories about what we do. Um, we just did one thing uh, that we just did at Three Crosses Church uh, last week, and my you guys have seen it, uh, dancing uh, deputies on ice, kind of a silly, kind of silly tame. But um, we partnered with the, the Three Crosses Church for this ice skating rink. We had a bunch of deputies, myself included, who were not great ice skaters, but we ice skated around. Uh, it was pretty fun. So if you could show the one, uh, I know there's two of them, why don't you show the one that the dogs and deputy? Oh, I'm sorry, go back to that one. So a big thing, and I've done talks on this uh, at a couple of conferences, every community that is successful has to have a thriving business community. It's essential. The business community, uh, Rotary, uh, uh, Chamber, and any community really run your events. They really run, do a lot of, of things that you normally wouldn't think of. I mean, the whole fact of being on a Rotarian is for service. We recognize that and we partnered with that's a big thing, which is partnering with our business community and like Beard Papa's and that's Pete's Hardware. They gave away little specials for their business to help us get toys for those people here in unincorporated Alameda County that need them. Uh, we gave away through hard a lot of toys uh, through, you know, for our program and we couldn't have done it. The, we did it like we still have toys, like we had more toys that we can shake a stick at. Um, but one of the things was that we partnered with these companies um, and it was good for the, the, the business because they want to give back to the community. It's good for us. It's good for the community. Uh, and that kind of partnership, I believe, is the, is the future of our business. And then the last slide. So we, these are some of the things that we did. Um, you'll, you can go on Facebook and you'll see some of these things. Uh, matter of fact, you'll see me and my partner, Heidi Burbank, at the Castle River Valley tree lighting. And I'm interacting with the Grinch, which, again, 
you don't see law enforcement agencies on stage doing skits. You, you just never do. But you do here at the sheriff's office. So we could show the dogs and deputies. And again, this is something that I wanted to bring to uh, to our community. She's she's gonna play it. Can we dim the lights to be able to see better? Thank you. It was playing a few minutes ago. Oh, okay. Folks, don't worry. This is going to eat up to eat up into my time anyway, so don't worry about. It. Anyway, while we're waiting for that, um, that's I'm going to just close on this um, kind of a cool video interpretation of the event that we did between the partnership between the sheriff's office and the community. We, people have probably heard of this thing called a coffee with a cop, which is a term in my business where we have an event. It's a platform for people, for the community and law enforcement to come together and be able to talk in a kind of a casual, whimsical kind of uh, occasion. So what I thought would be um, a good way to do it would be instead of coffee with a cop is bring your dog and meet your local deputy. And we called it, well, kind of definitely dog, uh, dogs and deputies. And we had it, we were at the uh, Rowell Ranch Rodeo. Oh, coffee with a cop, meaning the sheriff's office is always looking for ways to engage with the community. And we wanted to do it around all things canine, all things dog. We partnered with Misty Short with Wiggle Rums Classy Canines and the Hayward Area Recreation Department. We are having free puppuccinos at the sheriff's uh, tents. The overarching concept of today is simply for the sheriff's office to provide a venue about dogs to engage with the sheriff's deputies. Somebody want her? <laughs> somebody want her? Uh, we got her from... Okay, go ahead. That's kind of, again, if you go on our Facebook page, I encourage you to do so. There, there are many, many examples, stuff like that. Uh, but on that day, a thousand people in this community came out to Rowell Ranch Rodeo, interacted with us. Uh, we're partnered with Misty Short, which is probably the biggest uh, canine or dog grooming uh, salon. She just opened up a new, a new little part of her business there on Castor Valley Boulevard. And again, we're like this with Hard, with Misty, with the business community to do these types of things. And again, it was just a fun way for the community and us uh, and law enforcement to kind of, you know, come together and talk.
Thank you, Deputy Mola. Um, we're going to open it up for public comment now. So if you would be able to be available. Oh, okay. I'm yeah, right here. That would be awesome. Um, Madam Chair, Clerk, do we have any? Go one, ahead, one Ashley. Thing. Um, the stat, this report was sent to us about an hour before. So you guys will get it in your emails uh, directly from Dakota. I was going to bring that up in my comments, but thank you. Um, Tisa, do we have speakers for for this item? Frank Mellon. I have no in-person or online speakers for this item. Awesome. Thank you. Um, all right. We will turn then to council comments. Um, Deputy Polis, the don't Close public uh, comment. Uh, uh, no. No. Not so fast. Not, not, <laughs> not so fast. We'll start with Council Member Moore. Okay. Great. Thank you for the presentation and thank you for the, what you guys do. Um, big fan of the Sheriff's Department. Um, I'm just scared to death that uh, what's going on in Oakland is going to filter its way down here. And uh, so, a couple of the questions I happen to have um, are things like um, Do you have enough officers in? relationship to the population here. Um, I mean, and how many officers are allocated to our roughly, I think, 68,000 people? Is it in proportion to what would be in Union City, Fremont, and other areas that would be unincorporated? Uh, so I, you know, I just want to kind of get an idea. Do we have enough help? Do you have, you know, enough help to protect this community? Um, and then, uh, I, I, you talked a little bit about the schools and having a Mr. Moore. I, let me. Uh, that, that's going to be a long question. Let me. Uh, let's take it in, in parts. Okay. We might <laughs> Otherwise, I'll forget the forget the first part. So the first part of your question is: Do we have enough people, and what is our allocation regarding population versus, and what's best practices regarding the minimum number needed to patrol safely as a metropolitan area? Is that your? Yeah, I'm trying to get an idea. Um, you know, Cache Valley is an unincorporated area. Um, we're kind of like, we're there the max. So, you know, I think our job is to somewhat look out and make sure that we're getting our fair allocation of resources from our tax dollars that we're paying. Sure. And um, and I just kind of wondered, uh, how do you guys allocate that? And um, are we getting our fair share in relationship to other areas on a per capita basis? Yeah, I... Uh... I don't have the specific st statistics regarding that. Uh, today's presentation was around providing an overview of our crime prevention unit, not specifically to get into things that I hadn't even prepared for regarding like different rates or different statistics. I was talked to, to, to bring up with just the 2023 here in Castro Valley, but I'm happy to provide whatever information you have regarding the per capita question you're asking. So absolutely. I can I can provide that at a later meeting. Great, thank you. Um, a, a couple of things too is you referred to having officers available quickly to the schools that are assigned to that kind of a beat or something. Didn't we used to have officers on campus at the school? Yes. What changed? Uh, they did not renew the contract. The school? Yes. Did not renew the contract. Okay, that's interesting. I think. Um, Next time we vote for a school board, just know what our school board just did. Um, 
uh, you know, in the days gone by, and I, and I see all these things happening around the country, and it scares the hell out of me what's going on. We used to have Urban Shield here. And Urban Shield, I felt like, was a comfort level for me because the better you're trained, the better you react to some really bad situations. Absolutely. And um, what are you doing now that there is no Urban Shield training? Um, we do a uh, something similar in a very small way uh, regarding our, our SWAT fitness challenge, which we test, um, you know, fitness uh, around the different teams um, here in the area, different uh, SWAT teams, uh, specifically around our fitness and our, our readiness. Yeah. I mean, I used to feel pretty comfortable going to an A's game that if something ever happened about in that stadium, when you guys got there, they were the best that were trained to handle it. Now I'm a little scared. Well, I'll tell you right now. I'll tell you right now. We I tell you earlier that we are the leader in law enforcement service delivery in this county, and uh, I will argue that we are the leader in our our SWAT teams as well. And um, I, I, when you come back, if you could kind of give us a, an idea of uh, how many officers. Are you, are you fully staffed? Do we need more officers? And what would our allocation be of that? Because there's been an awful lot of conversation where Cache Valley wants to be a city or not. And uh, I'm trying to get an idea of, in my mind, is that going to implement with, if we are a city, uh, would we have more, uh, uh, I, I guess, say so, in the number of officers we would have? Uh, so anyway, but thank you for the wonderful job you guys do. And thank you for the engagement and the presentation. Thank you. Council Member Kilbert. Ah, yes, thank you for the presentation. I am especially interested in the part, the problem solving and the um, outreach to the community, especially working with local businesses. Um, so thank you for providing that information. Um, I think that we've been hearing about um, cases of repeat offenders where they will commit a crime one day and the next day they're committing a crime in a really similar area. Can you talk at all about like procedures or policies that may have changed that just now are just putting people back on the street in Alameda County um, as opposed to perhaps pursuing charges, um, not necessarily keeping them or or I mean have laws changed about retaining individuals that are committing crimes in communities or has there been a sh or is there just an increase in crime committed um, to hear that we're hearing about more cases so I'm, I'm not really understanding your question so in the for example I, I and I I can't speak to the accuracy of this it's just um, on a local news site they said that somebody robbed a home in Castor Valley near Proctor and the next day they were robbing the same home um, after they had been detained and released so I'm asking if you can talk to any policies or procedures that are allowing people that are committing crimes to turn around and be back on the street the next so day. So like a recidivism, what is the recidivism rate that's- Correct. Why or is it- why anything is it has changed in the recent So path? there's, yeah. If we were doing our master's uh, or our PhD, there are a thousand and one uh, thesis right now around this issue and this topic, recidivism rates. 
especially in around California. Um, I know um, that there, there were several things that it compounded. There's no one uh, silver bullet or panacea of why to explain any of this stuff. There's uh, from the way things are maybe charged or not charged, um, how, um, you know, there's what used to be a felony for narcotics. Like if I, if you and I were on patrol and we found someone with a little bit of um, cocaine, for example, um, that would be a felony. And that person would stay at the Santa Rita jail for a little while. Uh, now, um, that's, it's less, it's not a, it's not a felony anymore. It's more of a misdemeanor. Um, there's also, uh, in terms of, there's people, especially during COVID, they weren't allowing, they weren't holding people for very long. There's a lot of uh, reasons why things have, um, you know, laws have changed in terms of, uh, you know, theft and what constitute thefts, um, you know, are people getting charged? So we, to give you an idea of why that may seem that way, I'm just giving one person's interpretation of what I think that you're asking about, like what is what has changed, but specifically the laws have changed uh, in terms of uh, narcotics, um, uh, narcotics possession uh, for sales. Uh, specifically also what's changed is uh, more decriminalization for different things um, in terms of, you know, less uh, emphasis on um, prison sentences for property crimes. Um, you know, during COVID, I remember there was a famous um, case where someone was arrested, you know, for stealing a car. And then the next day, then they were released that, that, that evening. And then they were still in another car. And like they stole like three cars within the couple of days. So that's what you're talking about, right? Yeah. yeah and, and absolutely. And especially, you know, what you're talking about as far as Castro Valley, well, I'm not necessarily uh, understanding if that is completely accurate, but the overarching concept is, is that it seems that people that like the same people, but it's also true because remember in any community, 98% of all the people in any community, whether it's Chicago, Oakland, uh, Castro Valley are just good, hardworking people that are just trying to live their life and raise their family. Very small amount of people are uh, responsible for the vast majority of crimes. So those are the people that we come in contact with. So it's very difficult. There are a lot of challenges in law enforcement now regarding decriminalization, regarding um, you know probation, regarding charging of whether or not where it was a lot different um, several years ago when I started. I started in 1990. Uh, things were a lot different uh, in the county. Uh, you know, I'm sorry. I don't even know if I answered it completely. Okay, I got a couple. I'm just going to piggyback on hers real quick. So, um, you know, those few offenders that are just destroying our communities. Um, I'm curious, were these policy, these changes in laws done on a county level or are they being done on a state level? Where were these changes state. made? And counties cannot have their own set of rules for law enforcement. You have to follow the state. Or yeah. something that the county yeah. could it, be able to overlay. Yeah. It will, for like we talked about, uh, position of cocaine, and that's a health and safety California statute. So it's got to be changed. It's a it's a statute that we follow. So the, you know counties um, exist to you know enact ordinances which do carry some penalties. Are can be considered criminal violations at times. But as far as the traditional ones, where someone would go to a state prison or 
have some serious repercussions are made at the state level. Yeah, I mean, that's it's totally unfortunate because the erosion of San Francisco and Oakland, and it's all moving down East 14th, even though the majority of these people aren't probably aware of how close it is. Um, a friend owns a small little hair place down on East 14th Street Sunday, armed robbery, the guy came in, they almost had a shootout in the store. Um, they want to leave and they're going to close and opening a small business is not easy. And I don't know the decision makers that are making all these uh, rules really need to kind of relook at what they've done. Um, but anyway, that wasn't what I was. Yeah. yeah no, and, and, and I'll tell you the, uh, the, the thing that you're talking about, that's, that's what, that's what got me at the intersection of Redwood and Grove. I just realized how difficult it was for small businesses to make it through COVID. The fact that they even made it. Yeah. And then now they, they're, they're, they're going through all of these problems because of, you know, kind of these disturbances and issues yeah. that I and my my organization yeah. can affect. That's why we really wanted to organize people to, to put a stop, try to do our, our, our fair share to stop that, to in, increase the businesses. So people feel safe to go there. No, I, I get it. And you've done, you've, done a, you've done an excellent job with what you have to work with. And one of the things you said tonight um, really kind of threw me sideways because you are working with property owners to solve problems. And that's not even your job. We have code enforcement. We have county or we have departments that absolutely are supposed to be doing their job that absolutely do not. And it's totally appreciated. Don't get me wrong, because what you're doing is solving a problem, but we can't get our code enforcement to do anything. And um, so, you know, and we're on, we're on track to chase that down, but you know, it's completely appreciated that you guys are looking outside the box and, and handling some of the things that we normally don't see. And so just wanted to, to thank you for that. And I also concur with uh, Commissioner Moore and um, uh, Commissioner Killebrew's uh, comments as well. So anyway, I'll leave it to Bill. Yeah. There we go. Council Member Thomas. Thank you very much. And thank you for your presentation. And thank you for being here. Thank you for your service, what you do. Appreciate it. Uh, school resource officers, I mean, I'm just going to go back to that, you know, I know you said you have a school resource officers unit, right? I mean, this, but it's not funded by the school board, right? Uh, I'm not, I, my understanding is no, that we exist outside of that. Um, what type of, uh, negotiation or what type of thing that they're working on? I, I'm not really privy to. Again, my lane is the crime prevention unit, not the school resource officer unit and that, but I'm entertaining some of these questions, even though I didn't realize that I'd be asked that. See, in my view, I have two kids going there now, one graduated from high school, one in high school now, and one at Creekside. I think we need our officers there inside in the campus because the kids want to see a neutral person inside to ask questions. If they're not comfortable with the school staff, principal, assistant principal, they need somebody to go to, hey, I'm going through this. I'm going through. So I don't understand why one officer, I've heard comments like one sheriff in the high school, the kids are scared. That's why we took them off. 3,500 kids against one, one officer. I don't know. You know, if you're, if you're scared of one officer, maybe you should look at yourself. Um, so what I'm saying is, you know, in 2020, they took off the school resource officers unit and then one of, uh, what teacher molested a kid starting in 2020 from, he was a music teacher and he started from there, followed the kid up to, I'm, I'm reading from the news, so followed her up to the high school. And then the, it continued for three years. 
and there was no I don't tell me there was no signals or anything uh, it, it happened he was arrested he's a teacher I'm I believe if the school resource officers were, were present in the schools it could have been avoided that's my belief my personal opinion and then there's bathrooms uh, uh, Tojo you're in the Mac you know your parents approached me the bathrooms the men's bathroom in the Castle Valley High School smells like weed all right and I don't know what the security is doing. Uh, it's not one person who told me. There's a whole bunch of parents told me that, you know, because I go to high school. I, you know, uh, what are we looking at? You know, pretty soon fentanyl will be in the uh, kid's bathroom. There's going to, that kid needs to overdose to get some action. I mean, we need, we need, we need the school resource officers back. And I think Frank Mellon raised the thing about, you know, are they trained to defuse crisis? Are the security? Yeah. Oh, I yeah. don't know. School, I suppose we're the security up at the. Oh, oh, oh I'm sorry. I, I can't answer that. Okay. So they're not, you know, our, so that's why I'm requesting the chair to, you know, bring the school board up here, answer some of these questions. You know, I'm requesting, I don't know who I need to request, you know, what is going on? You know, you know, how are they handling violence in school? A lot of complaints coming through. How are they handling drugs in school? All these questions need to be answered. And, you know, they have to come and respond to us. You know, it's just not, it's not, not one person. I've, I've heard it again and again, fights at school. You know, if they can cover it up, they cover it up. Uh, if they if they need to call the school resource officer, that's the last last thing they want to do. So I know there's a unit, but their presence in schools is so important to you know you know diffuse situations. Somebody neutral in the school so they can cover stuff up. Right. Well, I, you know, I used to be a school resource officer for Mount Eden High School in Hayward in the '90s, and uh, I started and ended my day in physically on the high school campus. And me and the assistant principal and the principal were like this. And when kids were, you know, we had a no uh, cussing policy. Whenever I had occurred, this is a nineties. We were, anytime I heard a kid cuss, that was grounds for them maybe to be sent home. Like, don't do it again, cussing. So you can, you can really affect a lot of change on the campus. You get caught. It's like going to someone's like, it's like going to these businesses. It's like, a lot of the deputies don't have a lot of time. They drive by the shopping center. I have the time, but it takes work. Like the stuff that you're seeing here, like that's more work than you than anybody can imagine. And it takes to be on the campus to do that work, to get to know the students, to get to know the faculty, to get to know where the, where the bathrooms are. There's all kinds of things, but you're right. You have to like be physically present and mindful of the relationship, super critical. Thank you. That's that's all I that's why I want to hear that because I, I thought maybe I'm going crazy. No, but you know thank you. Thank you, Tojo. You bring up some really great points, and I think we need to get uh, I think we need to hear from the school board. Thank you. That was my request. So if we yes. couldn't get a, get somebody in here, that'd be great. Vice Chair Padra. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Good evening, and thank you for your services. Sometimes I don't envy you at all because I know that uh, the uniform does not get the respect that it, it it should have today. And for that, my heart goes out to you because it's it's a dangerous situation out there. I appreciate you bringing up specifically that strip mall at the Redwood Road in Broadway. Uh, I've patronized uh, that market a number of times, as well as the China Garden Restaurant, which is at the opposite end. And, and just recently, they redid their parking lot, and now it's one way coming out of the back instead of going in. Right. I don't know who approved that, but it's back asswards. I'm just, yeah. The owner, so the owner are in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. And after the meeting, he goes, you know, I've been thinking about doing all kinds of stuff, mm -hmm. uh, painting, restriping, or doing this and doing that. 
Um, so yeah, I, I can't speak for the actual because I I'm I'm pretty familiar with just the way from, the parking yeah, lots. Yeah, just from yeah. And, and, but it, it looks and, better. Well, it certainly appears better there. No, <laughs> the long better. Someone you navigate. Yeah, but it, it just simply doesn't make sense. You're yeah. coming in this way, and instead of going back and around to be able to exit on Grove Way, they are now being forced onto Redwood Road, which is a joke to try to exit onto that road. Yeah, I you know it's funny. I've never seen any. I've seen people in the back going in both directions. I know it might say that, but you're like probably the only person that's uh, following the rules. <laughs> My wife says that once in a while as well. <laughs> But uh, that's why a, you're the vice chair. Also, uh, yeah. On a more serious note, uh, uh, I respect what you folks do. I respect you being here this evening. But in all candor, sir, from a housekeeping standpoint, your report, as you presented it this evening, should have been in our hands a week or ten days ago. Secondly, copies should have been on the back table for anyone in person here to have access to that information. It's important what you folks. Here's your annual report for 2023. The entire year, many people are interested in this, and no one could read what was on board uh, on the screen. A and B, our staff only got it an hour before this meeting convened. So, from a housekeeping standpoint, I respectfully ask that you go back to your folks and say, "Hey, if if we mean what we say we do, we, we got to get this report out to the public a lot sooner." Please. Yeah, that's the first time I'm hearing that um, that you're needing it to that degree. Usually. Um, with, and I respect that, and we'll make sure we'll do it accordingly. But that's why things are usually emailed, and people aren't really printing things out anymore. Um, they're not usually having it. Um, they're usually sending like the CCA or Cherryland Community Association. That usually gets sent out, and all of the members have it, and then they're able to come to the meeting. They already have that. But I think that's kind of what you're saying is you'd like to have that stuff, the information, at least, did you say 10 days? I'm going to say at least a week, just to be able to not only to allow us to review it and be more informed, but equally as important to the general public. We've got, I don't know, 50 odd people here this evening, and I know many of them would have been interested in seeing the report rather than just on the on the on the film. Yeah, I think the only report they might not have been able to see is the crime stats. Yeah, that's that probably the, what they're, they're yeah, primarily busy. Yeah, that's probably you're right. Uh, I'll make sure anyway, that just FYI. No, no, no. You're that makes it. Um, yeah, I personally didn't realize it's the end of the year, like we were presenting for the whole 2023. Yeah, so 2023 so. annual report. So I give it a lot of credence, and I would hope that the department would, in like fashion, provide us with a copy before it's presented to us. Can't make heads or tails of it. Got it. How many copies did you want in the back? Well, no, no, I'm just, it, it, that's academic, just so we're informed prior to. So that we can digest it as opposed to just there it was. Got it. I couldn't tell Understood. you how many homicides, robberies, whatever it was. If my life depended upon this at this juncture, regardless, we can move on with that. The last thing I want to mention is I know your role is enforcement. Not only work it's, it's many, many different roles. Many, many different roles, many different hats. The point I wish to make is from a business standpoint, recently Lucky Stores had to alter their entrances and exits because of the repeated retail theft that occurs at that one store. And that's not an anomaly. It's occurring elsewhere in our town. And uh, when I spoke to the store manager about that, he said, we had to redo, to literally board off one exit to allow people just to enter our store only because the same repeat violators are coming in here and taking the same thing time after time after time. No repercussions whatsoever. And I would submit that maybe in the daily patrols, that issues like that, you know, you were talking about being able to 
to be in contact with business community on a constant basis. Mm -hmm. People in our community, when they see and hear that, they just don't feel safe. Right. Regardless of the job you do, which is excellent, many of us don't feel safe when that kind of thing goes on. Yeah, let me let me let me let you know about since you brought up the the lucky store and i i know that they did take some recent steps to uh, i guess to make it more of a hard target so lucky's was one of the few businesses that um, said they didn't want to come to the meeting where i wanted to organize here i specifically called them and said that's not something that we're really interested in doing right now so i personally made contact with the manager at lucky store um, there's also been times uh, and it's it's very and that's one of the things that I wanted to, to discuss with them is there's not a lot of consistency, especially at that store, meaning you and I are working and we get a call that someone has stolen some alcohol and that person is like on their way to BART. You and I track this person down, find the individual. Uh, maybe he kind of struggles a little bit. We have to, you know, risk everything to, to detain this person. There's times where we'll call back Lucky's and they'll say, ah, we just want our, our property back. Just let them go. So, and then there's other times where they want them arrested because remember those, that's a crime. The vast majority of those crimes are things where unless we actually see it happening and that's few and far between, we are at the mercy of the business owner or the manager on enforcement. So they have to decide, they set the tone on what we're supposed to do. Sometimes they want to prosecute and sometimes they don't. So that is also uh, problematic for us, not just Lucky's, but just anywhere in general. There's plenty of business owners who, and that's why it's important for us to educate and talk and have those discussions about why would you want to or, or why would you not want to. But yeah, I, I agree. And it's unfortunate that, um, you know, it's good and bad that they're doing, you know, um, I guess, construction to that degree. I'm glad they're doing it, um, but I, I feel it's, it's sad that they have to do that. In you know, my final analysis, I would in attempting to draw business, retail business into our community, we certainly want them to feel invited and safe in our community. And I know that she and her units and you and your, you know, everyone is doing their very, very best. But for whatever reason, I just, I know that we need to enhance, improve, and be more aware of that, regardless of what it takes. So thank you for your presentation this evening. Yeah, thank you, Mr. Chair. Thank you, Alan. Deputy Polo, thank you again. Uh, echo the council's comments that we're very fortunate and blessed to have ACSO um, so deep into our community. I, I think how the sheriff's office integrates within the community uh, in various aspects, business, social, uh, awesome. Uh, so thank you for that. And I will, I will ask, um, you know, my my memory of, of prior year end reports or status reports from ACSO, there was a there was a fairly deep focus on trends in crime, and unfortunately, you know that is what we couldn't see tonight. Maybe you could just briefly summarize what you see as significant trends upward and downward in I think crime. I think it's probably well the trends. I I could give a rough estimate, Please. but I think it's probably more better for me to maybe we send out the crime stats so people can kind of draw because they're very stark um, things as far as, you know, to say some, you know, without it being in front of me. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's probably the best. Okay. Let me ask. Thank you. Um, look forward to seeing that. And let me ask you the, the similar question. What trends 
are you and your peers most worried about? I don't know how to answer that. Um, you know, there's, again, people write papers about what are the, the issues regarding crime in any community. Um, I can tell you that we're not terribly, we're worried about um, crime in general, but as far as like, there's, there's something that keeps me awake at night regarding things. Is that what you're asking as far as a crime trend? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Nothing's keeping me up awake at night in terms of something that's scary here in the community. However, to individuals who experience crime, whether it's a robbery or a burglary or something on their car, um, that's you know that worries me. The the overall amount of crime that happens just in society. Okay. Um, I one of the last presentations we had, the theft of catalytic converters was a hockey stick, you know, going up. Uh, what what other crimes are showing that kind of trend? Home invasions, crimes against persons? No, not crime and home invasions. Um, I would say property-related crimes, crimes of uh, people's cars breaking into. Um, you know, people, um, you hear uh, various things that are sensationalized and you think, oh my God, everybody's can't drive down the street without this happening. Um, you know, the I know that crimes regarding property are, are still significant, like they've always mm -hmm. been, but again, like they're in throughout the entire state of California. Sure. Sure. Uh, a cynical person might wonder if crimes against property are being decriminalized because they then become the low-hanging fruit and draw people away from greater crimes. That's right. Think about that in terms of our legislators, but okay. Uh, I have no more questions. I truly thank you for for being here. Uh, thank you for the great work that you and your peers do, and and hopefully um, next time. You know, one of my concerns is you know being out in the community. The two things that are the topics of conversation are what has been said: uh, crime. You know. Um, and and homelessness and I, I think next time when we're blessed with your your report to hear a little bit more detail about those two things that would be that would be awesome detail about about crime more. trends crimes uh, yeah public safety and and then about homelessness well the uh, that you do yeah I mean I'm happy to give more information about homelessness in terms of you know the the crimes that we're experiencing here in this community are, you know, panhandling, mm -hmm. um, drug abuse. Right. Um, you know, those are the things that are affecting um, what is out in this community. The different encampments are here. Um, yeah, and I'm happy to talk to you offline and give more fine. detail on what you're what you're looking for. We're okay. happy to we're happy to you know provide more at your next meeting. Thank you. I appreciate sure. it. Be safe. Thank you. We are now on to item number seven, which is the update on the unincorporated county mobile home park issues. This is an informational item, and I believe we have Jennifer Pierce and Albert Lopez, who's going to, there's Jennifer. Right. 
good evening, council members. My name is Jennifer Pierce. I am one of the deputy housing directors here for the county. Um, and plan director Albert Lopez and I are here to tag team on a presentation about mobile home parks. Um, next slide, please. Oh, I'm so sorry. Could you repeat your name, please? Sure, Jennifer Pierce. I'm listed there as HCD. How's that? Better. Uh, I'm going to provide an overview of mobile home parks in the unincorporated county, um, a discussion about the Avalon mobile home park and the rent stabilization ordinance, um, a little history about a recent mobile home park, Trotel, and its closing process, and then Albert will come up and talk about mobile home park overlays. Next slide, please. So there are 19 parks in the unincorporated county. Uh, they're pretty small. They have less than 600 spaces total. It's about 550. Uh, most of them are concentrated in Castro Valley. I think you probably know that there are several on Castro Valley Boulevard, uh, Ashland, and Cherryland. Uh, residents of mobile home parks are often low income and or seniors on fixed incomes. And most often the uh, residents own the coach they live in while renting the lot space. Uh, frequently, these coaches are not movable, and so it creates um, a complex relationship potentially between the space rent and the coach price, as well as the relationship between the coach owners and the park owners. Uh, next slide. Uh, here's a map of where the parks are. I know that's hard to see, uh, but as you can tell, they're sort of scattered around, and again, most of them are really small. Um, the ones in Castro Valley are larger, but in the other areas, the unincorporated county, we're talking about, you know, 20 spots um, behind a U-Haul storage facility. Um, so we're not talking about the big parks that you sometimes see in, say, San Jose. Uh, next slide. So as many of you know, um, we have a mobile home space rent stabilization ordinance in the county. Um, we have this because the state law, the mobile home residency law, uh, specifically dictates that rent stabilization for resident-owned coaches is a local responsibility. Um, the state mobile home residency law governs things in mobile home parks like rent agreements, uh, pets, you know, all sorts of things that deal with parks, but they specifically indicated that rent stabilization is a local issue. Um, in fact, fun fact, uh, the state went so far as uh, to pass legislation regarding one mobile home park in the state uh, with regard to rent stabilization. And they did that because this mobile home park was in two jurisdictions. So, you know, this is really a recognition that this is a local issue. Our ordinance was updated in 2017. Um, and I see some familiar faces here in the crowd of people who uh, participated in that process with us on our stakeholder committees. It limits annual rent increases to 4% annually. Um, and in addition, there is no vacancy control. So should a coach be moved, uh, be sold, uh, that rent can increase up to you know, whatever the market may bear. Uh, this rent control ordinance applies again only to owner-occupied mobile homes. Uh, AB 1482, which is the statewide rent control and just cause ordinance, applies to coaches that are rented by the residents that are owned by the park. 
So there's two different, there's a distinction here between coaches that the, the residents own and coaches that the park owns. Um, our ordinance is intended to preserve affordable housing that again is occupied uh, by a lot of low-income seniors and other residents with few options to move should rents become unaffordable. Um, it can become challenging because as I mentioned with the complex relationship between the space rent and the coach, it, it can become hard to move if the rent increases too rapidly because then as you might imagine, when they're trying to sell their coach, uh, it will decrease the value of their coach if the rent becomes very high. Next slide, please. So the Avalon Mobile Home Park is located in Castor Valley. There are 49 mobile home spaces, many occupied by long-term residents that have been in Castor Valley for decades. Uh, it was owned by a family for many, many years. And in early 2023, it was purchased by a new investor-backed owner uh, who owns 70 mobile home parks across the country. Um, in November, many residents of their uh, coaches, many residents received notices of extreme rent increases far in excess of our 4% that's allowed. Uh, they were looking at 100% rent increases or more. Uh, the residents are concerned, of course, that if the owner cannot raise the rents to the extent they would like to, uh, they will move to close the park. Next slide. Um, the park owner um, has said when we sent them a letter saying, hey, by the way, our ordinance says you can only go 4%, um, that they interpret our county ordinance to exempt recreational vehicles. Um, I want to note that um, in the past, because we have a lot of family-owned uh, mobile home parks, if uh, rent was increased more than the allowable 4%, you know, we would send a letter saying, hey, by the way, it's 4%, and owners would go, oh, you know, we'll roll it back. And it was it was never a problem. We have really good relationships with the mobile home park owners. Uh, the new owner indicated that they interpret the county ordinance to exempt recreational vehicles. Uh, when we went back with county council to take a look at our mobile home ordinance, uh, it turns out that the definition of recreational vehicle is a broken link to the state law. So we are going to the Board of Supervisors on January 23rd. It was continued from December 19th to get that fixed as the board's intent when they passed the new ordinance in 2023 was to have it linked to state law, which would mean that if RVs have been in place for nine months or more, they're considered mobile homes. Uh, mobile homes have more protections because when they've been in mobile home parks for that long, they're less likely to be able to move. And therefore the state has deemed that they need a little bit more protection than something that just can be rolled off the lot. Next slide. Uh, I'm gonna briefly talk about the park closing process since we went through this a couple of years ago with Trotel. A lot of words on this slide, I'm sorry about that. It basically boils down to the fact that the state allows the local jurisdiction to require a closure impact report if they're going to convert the park to another use or close it. And this report covers the impact on resident displacement and their ability to find alternative places to locate. Uh, the local agency, HCD, can require a park to pay reasonable relocation costs as a condition for any permits. And there are extended periods of time 
that the residents are required to have pursuant to state law if the park is going to be closed or converted. And it depends on whether permits are required. Um, and the local jurisdiction here again, HCD, uh, determines the actual relocation assistance that will be afforded to residents pursuant to the closure impact report. Next slide. Uh, we went through this process with Trotel Mobile Home Park, which closed, as I'm sure you know, in 2019. Uh, the owners started talking to residents about uh, leaving because they wanted to sell the park in 2016. And we became aware of this process in 2017 uh, when the park, uh, some park residents reached out to us and then we started working with the owners. Um, as you can tell, it was a fairly long process. They uh, spent some time talking to the residents um, and we informed them that really they needed to work with us on this closure impact report. They hired um, an independent relocation specialist to prepare this report um, and eventually uh, relocated all the households, uh, provided payments to them all. The payments differed depending on whether it was a single wide, a double wide, a trailer, and, and candidly differed um, before they got their relocation specialists involved and after they filed the official relocation report. Uh, 12 households, a little more than half, uh, needed to relocate outside Alameda County. Next slide. So now I'm at TF Albert. Um, park residents uh, have asked for a zoning overlay on the parks to protect them as affordable housing. Uh, this would add some additional hurdles to redevelop mobile home parks for other uses. Uh, and I'll let Albert talk about these. Staff told me that I could go sit over there in the end with you guys in case questions. Good evening. Um, so you can go ahead and, and tee up the next slide if you'd like. I was asked to provide some very basic information about a, what a mobile home park overlay, a zoning or general plan overlay might look like. And um, I was glad to hear that there was, I think you said there were 17 mobile home parks in the unincorporated area. So we would likely, if we were asked to develop a overlay for mobile homes, would likely apply the same designation uh, to all the parks at the same time. Um, and uh, again, we're, we're kind of exploring this particular um, request coming from the community and from our leadership. You don't have anything drafted or any kind of ordinance that's in a draft mode that you could take a look at or anything like that. It was just wanted to provide some very general information about what an overlay could or, or could not do. Uh, essentially what it is, it's, it provides a special designation. Um, uh, and it could be whether it could be either a general plan designation or a zoning designation. Um, but it would be a special overlay that would establish policies for the county to follow. Um, and this really is reflected of the community's goals, desires, and wishes in terms of, of how, the, uh, how the county does view mobile home parks and their relationship in the county and their place in the county. We did a similar process uh, for the Castro Valley Schools and uh, East Bay Mud Site that was located here in Castro Valley back in 2012 when the general plan was adopted. There was concern about, well, what happens when a school district wants to close a school and sell a school. Uh, and same for East Bay Mud. It's like, well, what happens when East Bay Mud wants to um, uh, sell one of their sites? And there's a couple of them in Castro Valley and they were concerns at that time. And so we wrote in some special sort of rules that the, the school district and East Bay Mud would have, would have to follow if indeed they wanted to, um, uh, to sell a property off. And so there's a couple of instances where we have to go through that process 
Um, and just to kind of, you know, be a very general way, I mean, essentially what it did is it, it required some sort of community process. Much of that would occur here at the MAC if there were going to be uh, transitions from schools or, uh, in this particular case, East Bay mud sites. And I think there was something specific to schools that said, for example, if you wanted to redevelop a school, you have to mimic or, or sort of meet the density that was around the area so that if it was gonna sell that you wouldn't be able to change the density, for example, and put a, a high density project next to a single family neighborhood. So that's the kind of rule or, or regulation that you could adopt as part of a zoning or general plan overlay. Next slide. And uh, you know, one of the things that uh, needs to be determined if we uh, go down the, the road of creating an overlay is to really understand what the, what the goal is in terms of um, if we're going to uh, create an overlay and require new regulations is what are they intended to do? Um, and so I'm not here necessarily to, to talk too much about that, but just I want to just kind of talk about the process um, and, and what an overlay, um, how it can help, for example, is it can provide certainty to the community as well as to a uh, mobile home park owner uh, if they do request a change to the designation. For example, if we put the overlay um, that says, you know, this 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 uh, particular district only allows mobile home parks. If you want to change it, then you have to go through some sort of process. Um, then there's certainty on both sides of what that process is. And it does describe essentially the requirements for an owner or developer to follow if redevelopment of a mobile home park occurs. And that would be in addition to any kind of local or, or state and federal laws. Um, Jennifer talked about our local ordinance that exists as well as state law. And I know that there's a lot of uh, legislation already that applies to mobile home parks. So this would be um, in addition to that and, and uh, not in conflict, but complementary to any existing laws that we have to follow. Uh, and so uh, there could be, I mean, two sides of the coin here. I mean, you could facilitate redevelopment of mobile home parks with an overlay, or you could be restrictive and provide protections. Um, and so, you know, that's that's the, the range that you could do, you know, basically everything in between that in terms of how you want to address the transition or not transition of mobile home parks. Uh, currently, the um, uh, the Castro Valley General Plan has like one or two policies specific to mobile home parks. They do talk about redevelopment. This document was written back in 2012. I mean, certainly that's, you know, <clears throat> so about a dozen years ago. So lots have changed since then. Um, in terms of uh, housing insecurity and, and concerns about um, the unhoused population as well as affordability. Um, those are all, as you know, uh, more grave concerns than maybe they were back in 2012. So that would be you know, one place that we'd have to look um, in terms of what existing policies have to say. Technically, uh, creating an overlay is pretty straightforward. Um, it's really creating a map that just says, you know, from here on out, these, these parcels are going to be designated with this designation of mobile home park, and then again there will be policies and uh, associated with that. So uh, technically, it's not um, uh, you know very difficult to do this. And then um, it you know a general plan or zoning district or zoning district change, it's a legislative act, and so after all the community process that we likely would have to go through to determine what the policies are, um, they would go to the planning commission. Um, for their recommendation, it would have to go as well as likely to all the local MAC boards. As you know, there's a MAC for um, the Eden area as well. And so there's a lot of mobile home parks there. So that they would be the MAC in that particular jurisdiction. And then the Cache Valley MAC would look at, at um, 
and any kind of change as well that would apply in Capture Valley. And then finally, you had to go to the Board of Supervisors. They'd be the sort of last step in the uh, in this legislative legislative act of creating an overlay. And um, so that's the only uh, two slides that I have on this particular item. Uh, I'd be happy to answer any questions that you may have, and I'll, I'll take a seat, and you can call us up um, as you like, or I could just stay here and answer questions if you have. Thanks, Albert. Um, I think we'll go to public comment first. Okay. So please have a sure, seat, and uh, I would just just say we have a lot of people in the room and a lot of people online. We're going to uh, set public comment at two minutes for the evening. Please fill out a speaker card that you'll find on the back table and and bring that up to uh, to the staff table, please. And I would just ask for basic consideration and courtesy. If the person before you says something that you agree with, you don't have to repeat it. Um, please state what you what you need to state. And if you agree with previous speakers, you can just you can just say that. All that being said. Uh, Madam Clerk, who do we have as a speaker? I'll alternate between in-person and online speakers. First in-person speaker, Julio Contreras. Next in-person speaker, uh, Leo Esclamado. Good evening, members of Castro Valley Mac. My name is Leo Esclamado. I'm with my Eden Voice, a grassroots organization representing parents, working families, and tenants in the Eden area in Cashier Valley. I come to you all with a sense of urgency. A zoning overlay is urgently needed, urgently needed to protect vulnerable families today. Over the weekend, we hosted a residence forum where over 50 unincorporated mobile home residents were in fear of losing their homes, two parts of which have sold to corporate landlords in the past four months, and one is in the process of being sold, and many residents are dealing with poor management and maintenance where some are living without hot water and open sewage. We think there's a concerted strategy to let parks go in disarray, evict longtime residents and to sell. The 17 parks in the unincorporated area represent more than just 600 spaces they rent. It's 600 longtime families and one of the last options of affordable housing. So we may fear we're really on the brink of homelessness without swift action and recommend policies such as zoning overlays. In the 2023 Alameda County Homeless Report, uh, eviction was one of the top three reasons for being unhoused when, when interviewed um, houseless individuals. So we hope better protections can pre prevent our homelessness crisis. Thank you for your consideration and time. Thank you very much. Nick Peterson, you're on the line. You have two minutes. Yeah, thank you very much for allowing me to speak. I'm actually speaking or my sister who lives in the Del Rio mobile home park and has for the last 10 or more years. Um, she is disabled and bipolar, and it would be very difficult for her to find an, an as affordable place to live in this area um, than the Del Rio park. I, I think you'll find that the mobile home parks are some of the most affordable housing in the area. And unfortunately, this has made them kind of attractive to developers who have come in. And this is a national kind of tragedy that's happening. And they um, force current tenants out and uh, jack prices and then turn over the property for a profit and, and they make a lot of money. So there are money-making entities versus 
long-term housing for people that are really on tough times. So I really encourage you to support the overlay and um, keep these places. I was just reading an article about how uh, San Francisco is desperately trying to build more tiny home lots for homeless people. Well, these are already existing small home, densely packed small home sites where people live very well and reasonably and, and can afford to stay in the area. If you lose this form of housing, you could possibly replace it with some high density uh, with affordable housing, but generally that affordable housing is still gonna be based on area means, which will mean most of the people that are currently there would not be able to live there afterwards and certainly wouldn't be able to be homeless for uh, the couple of years it would take to go through the process of rebuilding home. So I strongly encourage you to make this overlay and make it as strong as possible to preserve this form of affordable housing for the people who desperately need it. Thank you very much. Sarah Clancy. The library will be closed in 30 minutes at eight o'clock. If you need to apply for a library card or ask any questions about your library account, Please come to the membership desk now. Once again, the library will be closing in 30 minutes at 8 o'clock. Thank you. My name is Tara. I'm here from Avalon Mobile Home Park in Castro Valley, speaking on the agenda item 7. We're here to ask you to consider approving a mobile home park zoning overlay because homelessness is an expensive problem. It's a problem in Alameda County has been dedicated to solving because it is escalating, but we have a real opportunity to prevent it here with an overlay. In 1990, rent stabilization was created because it was recognized that mobile home parks were, and still are, an important part of a stable community. They provide a thin line between housed and homeless for many, and they make it possible for low-income residents to support themselves. The reality is that not everybody can afford to live in a house, but our community thrives because of people who work here and raise their families here. It's important that people not become desperate and in need. Many of those people are older and want only to live in peace with what they can afford. Social security and pensions have not always kept up with inflation. And for our residents who rely on fixed incomes, mobile home parks may be their only option. They, we are asking you to help us protect our last true affordable housing option by making sure mobile home parks do not get demolished in the name of investors' rights to make money. Investors have a constitutional right to make profit, but tenants who are taxpayers also have a constitutional right to fair and safe housing and the right to a fair return on the mobile homes which we purchase a home that many would have to abandon if they cannot be sold in place at a reasonable price. We are asking you to please consider a zoning overlay to keep our mobile home parks from being sold and repurposed once the investors realize that they cannot override our rent stabilization that they have been trying to do lately. Thank you very much. Matt Davies, you're on the line. You have two minutes. Well, hello. An overlay ordinance would be the equivalent of a NIMBY ordinance, not in my backyard. Mobile home parks were built in the 40s and 50s. They have aging infrastructure. The state of California has spent the last 30 years regulating them out of existence. Every council sits there around and says, we want to protect this housing, but this housing is typically 10 units to the acre. You need five what is it five million units across california you guys aren't finding any solutions instead what you're saying is is we want to protect something that actually is becoming obsolete 
you ought to change your NIMBY to a YIMBY. Further, if you really wanted to develop these things and you want to develop affordable housing, look at Montana. Look at Texas. They're building hundreds of mobile home parks. There's not an operator in California that's stupid enough to build a mobile home park in this climate when property rights are taken by the wayside. Imagine, only you folks own your own homes. You can, when you move out, you're being told what you can rent them for, how long you can rent them for, what you can do. It's not right. It's not fair. There should be. This, this isn't a socialist country, folks. We should have the ability to have pro property rights. They're sacred, and they're being abused right now and trampled on. And this is only going to worsen the affordable housing crisis when people can't trust their property rights and are not allowed to make decisions that are actually in the better interest of our communities. Thank you. Thank you. Judy Espinoza. Um, my name is Judy Espinoza, and I'm speaking on behalf of Mobile, uh, Avalon Mobile Home Park. My husband and I purchased our home seven years ago when we were facing retirement and needed means of affordable housing to be able to live on Social Security. When our park was purchased by these investors a year ago, we began harass being harassed with inspections of our homes and re making repairs that were necessary, illegal attempts to add utility charges, rent increases, threats of evictions, and we feel these owners aren't done with us yet. The fear of losing our homes that we worked so hard to, be, to get has been devastating. There's no money to pick up and move them, and there's nowhere to go with them. So our investment is lost. There is no, there's already so much homelessness that we've been talking about in our state, but, and these actions are just creating more. We are desperate to get your help to protect the homes and not allow these investors to push us and our neighbors out, causing us to lose everything that this corporation wants us to lose in order for them to make a profit. Thank you very much. Travis Urban, you have two minutes. Uh, thank you very much for your time. Uh, I am. Uh, I wish I could have been there in person. Unfortunately, uh, one of my neighbors uh, had a medical emergency, and I do need to stay close to him. Um, he checks all the boxes of everything that was talked about. He is 75 years young, uh, battling cancer, and is on a fixed income. And currently, right now, this is the most affordable housing that a lot of people that are here, and I'm sorry, I'm with the Del Rio Mobile Home Park, um, and we wish for everything to be able to stay that way. Um, everything that has been being pro uh, proposed, we feel is very much a preventative measure that uh, needs to be put in place. As I have just done a little bit of research, uh, we were just bought out by a corporate entity about a month ago, and already the documentation is uh, flowing in of uh, what we feel is uh, unreasonable expectations of bringing things up to, you. I'm not sure if you could see my finger quotes, but quote unquote codes and other things that are uh, very much just for the intent of uh, making it to where 
these upgrades, repairs, or anything that are not necessary are not able to be afforded, forcing people to go ahead and sell so that things can be redeveloped for their purposes. Um, we ask that absolutely that these ordinances uh, be seriously looked at and that these zoning things can be put in place so that people on these fixed incomes, these families are not uprooted. And I would hate to see that the next slideshow uh, from our fellow police officers that we had is photos showing uh, homeless people going back to what they just cleaned up, because I would hate to see that happen. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Carmelita Perez. Take it out. Right. My name is Carmelita Perez and I live at Avalon Trailer Park in Casper Valley. I've lived there for 18 years. I'm 72. I was 54 when I moved in there. And now they're trying to take it over by a corporation and made it over 100% rent increase. And now I, I just want to say, can you please help us keep our most natural affordable housing in place by considering a zoning overlay to protect our mobile home parks from being redeveloped into million dollar homes that allow few people to thrive while the rest of us are forced to leave or become homeless. Thank you. Thank you very much. Daniel Westfield. I'm Daniel Weissfield. I live in Alameda County. My wife and two kids. I work for the owners of Avalon Mobile Park. Um, we misinterpreted the mobile home park rent control ordinance. We raised rents. We found out we were wrong. We reversed it. Sometimes it's good to know what you're wrong. We walked it back. So we let notified all the residents that that was reversed. I've heard residents talking about harassment, which I'm not aware of, which is not something we want to do, and which is illegal. And I've heard about allegations of open sewage and other issues in parks, which I'm certainly not aware of at our park. If that's happening, we fix it. We've asked the residents, sent multiple letters asking residents to let us know about maintenance and repairs issues and haven't gotten responses. I have been in touch with County HCD and La Raza Legal Center. Beyond that, we haven't gotten constructive, specific advice about issues we need to fix. We're here. We want to run a safe, orderly community. We don't want people to be homeless. We want people to stay in their homes with the exception of a few park-owned units, which we are no longer going to be renting out 
I'm here to speak with anyone who wants to speak to me after the comments. Thank you. Much appreciated. Marcel. Hello, my name is Marcel Morgan. I work for the state of California. I'm here to behalf uh, of people that can't be here. I take care of the disabled, the elderly, and they're in these parks. They're at Del Rio. They're going to be displaced. You know, my wife has MS, and it's terminal. She's not a fixed income. She can't afford to move. She's scared to death she's going to be homeless. I hope you can add something that you cannot just come in, buy a mobile home park, and close it, and develop it. There should be some safety thing that you cannot just develop these properties and displace these people that are elderly and disabled. Some of them, they don't even have people taking care of them. They're there by themselves, struggling just to stay there. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Rosa? Nice to meet you, Mr. Daniel. I live in the mobile home park, and ever since Mr. Daniel bought the property, we don't have help. We have been given uh, just do this and do that and never check it again. We don't know anybody. I just accidentally met him just now. I seen him one before, but I didn't know it was him. So I'm moved to say that I've been living there for 15 years. I don't have the best moment on park, but that is my home. And, you know, I one of the popular sayings that I heard once resonated with me, we will always have the poor with us. We are the ones that cannot afford. It's true. But the rich doesn't have to step on the poor. And that's how we are felt when we have no one-to-one -one voices. When we don't have um place, how do we pay the rent? You have to travel there, or you have to do that, or you have to do no more help. And we have pulled together at the mobile home park, even though we don't even know each other, because we want to survive in that setting. There is no this a manager that comes and just give us ultimatums and things to do and we're that's it so the friends i already spoke for the mobile home park they are very uh well aware of what to speak and what the ordinance and the overlay i just live there and i want to pay my rent and i want someone to help me to try there until i no longer arrive, uh, live so it's real for me is not so real someone that has 70 mobile home parts. And so I just, I'm moved to say this on behalf of, so, of all of us that we're trying to survive these tough times. Thank you very much. Maria Miranda, you're on the line. You have two minutes. Good evening. Uh, my name is Maria Miranda and I am 
an organizer with my Eden Voice representing the urban unincorporated communities uh, in Alameda County, also known as Eden area. Um, and I'm here to echo some of the comments of uh, mobile home park residents that have already stated some of their experiences, but also for those that have um, are unable to make it due to work and other uh, commitments. So we have seen that, you know, um, across uh, an incorporate, urban unincorporated area, there's about 19 mobile home parks. And despite them having their, you know, unique issues at their parks, um, you know, and whatever those may be, um, whether it's habitability or other issues, we are also seeing a trend of many um, mobile home parks either getting rent increases that are way too high and out of legal limit, in addition to uh, receiving um, eviction notices, but um, for the reasons that they're going to be selling the property. However, it is not for all residents, which um, in our understanding um, is a possibly a violation of Ellis Act. And so there's not a lot of enforcement going on. And so we really uh, have been looking with residents um, and demanding a zoning overlay in order to strengthen the regulations um, for these residents and ensure that these working class and really fixed income folks um, can get the support they need and not be displaced any further than they have been in the past. So want to ensure that we can uh, protect them uh, while they're still here. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Brandon Lee. Hello, I am a resident of Apollon Mobile Home Park, and I just came to like share my experience of what's been happening. So when the new owners came in, they added water and garbage charges, about $200 extra to my rent. So I went to try to contact the managers and I brought them my contract where it specifically says water and garbage and sewer are already calculated into my rent. I showed them that paperwork and then they gave me their manager office and number and they proceeded to ignore all of my text messages, all of my calls. I text them every day, call them, try and figure out what's going on. So then they slapped a three-day eviction notice on my door because I couldn't pay my rent because they switched to an online platform. So then the next month after that, they, they saw that contract. They only removed the water part. So the sewer part was still there. So still about an extra $100 charge on my rent. And then I still try to contact them, try to call them, no response. I ended up just paying the increased amount because they're just going to slap another three-day eviction notice on it. Couple, then... That gets removed, they get figured that out, and then they try and increase my rent again. So it's been happening repeatedly. So it's not like a one-off instance where they didn't know the rule. I went forward to them with my contract to try and show them like where they were making the mistakes and I would just actively avoid it. Um, I, I was kicked out of my house when I was 18. I was homeless. I was living out of a car that was older than I was. So I know the impact of what it's like to be homeless. And this is a small community. Uh, I know a lot of these people personally. And if they're kicked out of their houses, I know they're just gonna go to the street. And I've seen what happens, they'll, they'll just die. It's a lot of drugs, there's a lot of violence out on the street. And it's only getting worse and worse every day. 
I enter, I still interact with some of these homeless people. I pay them to help do yard work. So if these people are kicked out, they, they die. I've seen it. Thank you very much. Julio Contreras, you're on the line. You have two minutes. Hello, my name is Julio Contreras. Um, I was born and raised in Hayward, and I am a community organizer with Maid and Voice. Um, we have been in conversations with uh, folks in mobile homes. I have friends that uh, grew up in mobile homes um, and a current friend that um, is, is staying in the mobile home. And I just want to ask the CV Mac to please support mobile home overlay. It is uh, a great way to protect um, and make sure that the residents at mobile homes are not uh, slapped with um, eviction, harsh eviction notices or with uh, rent increases and uh, being ma making sure that the residents with fixed incomes, seniors in retirement, folks with disabilities and the severely or low income um, population is, is protected and taken care of. Um, this is something that, that y'all can do to lead this path forward, um, as, as was mentioned, um, as well as the Eden Mac, um, and to propose this to a supervisor. And in doing so, um, you will be showing that you do really care about those in the in the Castro Valley community that are suffering. Folks that uh, the sheriff mentioned, um, they're trying to to work with, trying to prevent um, more crime and, uh, and and issues with un with those who are not unhoused and um, folks who are in the streets. Um, and so please listen to the stories that folks are sharing. Um, you, you have the power, CV Mac, to, um, to move this forward. Um, I think most of the speakers so far have been sharing their hardships, have been sharing the support for this. Um, and so I just want to highlight uh, the struggling elderly and disabled folks that are, are going through a hard time right now, especially right now during the winter. Um, and so I, I'm hoping that you could base your decision on on the comments and facts from the county, from tenants in mobile homes, um, and not so much on comments about the mobile homes being obsolete and destroying the housing market, things that are not really true or not based in fact. Thank you. Thank you very much. I have no additional speakers for this item. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Is there anyone else in the room that would like to speak before we close public comment? Let us know your name and you'll have two minutes to speak, please. Thank you. My name is Ken Willoughby. I also reside at Athlon Mobile Home Park. I'm not a very good public speaker, so you'll have to forgive that. I uh, have resided there for 25 years. I've seen changes of ownership a couple of times. My original contract shows certain things that should be when this new company came in they ignored the original contract they made it a requirement for us to sign their contract which is not legal because most of us do not agree with it and i'm a disabled veteran my youngest daughter and granddaughter also are residents None of us can afford to make a change. And one of the things I'd like you to reflect on is because I'm a disabled veteran, I'm like a person on social security. We got a three point something raise this year, but yet our rent goes up 4%, which means the rest 
percentage we have to figure out where we're going to pull from. We're all people that are on very limited income. We do the best that we can do. The only good thing that I've seen in this change of ownership is that it has brought us as residents all together as big family. We're asking for your help. Protect us, because if you don't, who will? Thank you for your time. Thank you, Mr. Willoughby. Salo Londono, you're on the line. You have two minutes. Hello, uh, my name is Saulo Londoño and I work with the Western Manufacturer Housing Communities Association. We're the association in California that works with mobile home park owners and operators throughout the state. Um, heard a lot of heard a lot of stuff tonight that just paints mobile home park owners as uh, nothing short of than villains, and uh, it's extremely. Uh, uh, disappointing to hear this from uh you know th these are your housing providers these are folks that as as the speakers today have said provide this community with the most affordable um housing available in this in this area so we should be working as partners with the community we should be working as partners with lo our local government to find ways to solve problems instead of creating new ones or in this case creating a panic when one doesn't need to exist I mean, I think it's shameful that there's that there's a panic that exists right now about parks being closed when there's absolutely no plan whatsoever by anybody to close parks. You have already it's already been laid out. What's it? The situation will happen here. One park owner, one new park owner came in, made a rent increase that was above what it was allowed. He was told that he can't do that. And they went back and they they took care of it. Now, what you don't want to do is extrapolate the situation and make a mistake not based on any facts, not based on any plans that mobile home park owners have about the future, and in the process completely cut off the, the county's ability to redevelop and um, create better housing conditions for their own community in the future. So I really just ask folks to take a step back, look at the actual facts of what's going on here, uh, leave a lot of this uh, 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 extreme language to the side because these are your housing providers, your business owners in your own town, in your own city that want to be a part of the solution. Thank you. Tara Alikian. Good evening, Mac. My name is Hera Alikian. I am a constituent and resident of Castro Valley and a mobile home park owner and operator. I am here this evening, first off, to thank Daniel for coming out and with humility coming to you folks at the park and extending an olive branch to open those communications and with housing staff to have opportunity to look at the issues that are being alleged here tonight, to find the solution, to clarify the problems. I know as an operator and a resident of Castro Valley, we work very hard with our residents to make sure we provide the housing that we provide and to continue to afford to be able to be in that housing element. I don't believe that there's any intent here to close any parks down. We want to be in the business as being mobile home park operators. That's who we are. We are a ma and pa operator. We need those tools to be able to afford those services. Um, some of the allegations that are being made here tonight. Again, I am a neutral party. I am not part of mobile home at Avalon management. 
I am trying to look at it from outside. I've had communications with these park owners and asked them really to understand the ordinance that we worked very hard on to be able to continue to offer this housing. And we brought that information to these new park owners and asked them to really look at it closely, understand what the intents were on both sides and to be able to continue to provide the services we provide to you, our residents. <laughs> we want to continue to stay in business. That's our goal. And flexibility on zoning is a general plan and zoning department issue. We are mobile home park owners and operators. Mr. Westfield's profile is a mobile home park owner and operator. He wants to have the tools to continue to do so. So please take the opportunity tonight to speak with him. He's here in person. He's here for you. Again, I have no interest in Avalon Mobile Home Park. I'm just here as the architects that worked hard in 2015 to 17 to come up with the ordinance we have in front of us today. And we ask you to continue to enforce that ordinance because there's lots of good things for both sides in it. Thank you, Nora. Nora, you're on the line. You have two minutes. Hi. Can you hear me? Yes. Awesome. Um, I'd like to speak to a park that is definitely being marketed um, to be changed from a mobile home park. I'm at Paradise Park, which is on East 14th Street. I would invite you to take a drive through and see the complete change that's happened. Well, you'll just see how bad it looks. Um, and it's being sold as um, a multi-use property. It's inside a larger property. And it's being marketed um, for a raise and redevelop. And we have, I could send you the ad that we found online. Um, and when I moved in 23 years ago, it was a thriving mobile home park with um, every space full. And if you drive through it tomorrow, you'll see it is mostly empty. And I agree with the strategy of running the park into the ground that some, maybe not all, park owners um, have used. And um, once the park owner, original park owner died, and then the daughter got sued by one of the tenants, that's when things really changed and it became a private park basically, where you where a stranger couldn't move in without getting vouched for. Um, and all these places got torn down instead of being rehabilitated because she simply didn't want to be a landlord anymore. And so now it's up for sale. Um, and like I said, the ad is, uh, trying to uh, promote a, or selling it as a redevelopment with plans included. So I think, you know, of course it depends, but I, my point is I agree with a lot that's said and please consider this um, overlay. I also wonder what happens if the board doesn't approve it. Um, that's a question I have. And also if the over overlay is um, successful to have really good oversight over parks so that even if they are sold as parks that things don't go crazy like some of the things that we've heard. Sean Alikian. Good evening, Mac, and everybody else in attendance. My name is Sean Alikian. I'm a lifelong Castor Valley resident, still, uh, still live here. Uh, and I am part of the management of the Wishing Well Mobile Home Park adjacent to Avalon. Um, I'm a local general contractor, I got my boots on the ground every day fixing repairs. Um, and there is absolutely no debate here whether or not we need this type of housing in town. We absolutely do. 
We actually, as another speaker over the phone said, we need to be building these in droves all over the state of California. They're affordable housing and they need the tools and equipment in place um, to continue to maintain or run these as affordable housing. I wanna thank Jennifer and her team back in 2017 over at the local HCD. They did a great job in holding stakeholders meetings with both residents and management of parks locally to adopt and draft the uh, current ordinance that we have. Um, you know, the ordinance, if it doesn't work for everybody, doesn't work for anybody, and the current ordinance does, we'd like to just ask the current ordinance is enforced. Um, Mr. Wisefield here representing Avalon Mobile Home Park, he got a little bit of an education, um, you know, locally from park owners and residents um, on the tactics that they used when they raised the rents, and he walked it back. He did it gracefully. Um, do I agree with the aggressive tactics? If they are true, no, I do not. People here have rights. Um, the local residents in Cache Valley will not be walked all over. They won't be walked over in any community. We just need to enforce the ordinance that is currently in place. Um, you know, these these parts, with the dirty little secret, and there's a couple of them that I want to correct. Jennifer early said that Avalon Mobile Home Park was in a family ownership um, for a long period of time. Yes, absolutely it was. And the owner of that park was very fair to his residents. The dirty little secret is the manager of that park bought the park for under a million dollars from that owner and stole it from him a couple years back. She turned around and flipped it for five times that amount two years later. That is who the residents of Avalon Mobile Home Park should have a beef with. She's the profiteer, not the current owner. The current owner is strapped, hand strapped with his ties, hands tied behind his back, with super high expenses, super high maintenance costs. We all know inflation's through the roof, labor's through the roof, cost of materials through the roof. In order to keep this park alive, he has to clean it up. The state forces park owners and management to clean it up. Otherwise, they say evict your residents if they don't take care of their mobile homes. I encourage people to pay your rent, take care of your home, enforce the current ordinance, and these parks will be here for the long run. Whether a zoning overlay is needed or not, it's not for us to decide. It's for the MAC to advise the Board of Supervisors and the local agency to decide if that's the right tool in place. But the other dirty little secret in town is if you pull the majority of Castro Valley residents, I've been here for 46 years, they don't want mobile home parks in Castro Valley, especially on Castro Valley Boulevard. Okay. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Caller, you're on the line. You have two minutes. Hola, este. Vivimos uh, aquí en uh, Del Rio Mobile Home Park. Y nada más quería decirle que tengo más de 10 años viviendo aquí y hay muchas. Uh, personas uh, grandes, muchas personas con disability o enfermedades que necesitan estos lugares para vivir. Y uh, esto ha sido como una casa para nosotros por mucho tiempo. Y desde que compraron estos lugares, este lugar el mes pasado, las personas están muy preocupadas por lo que van a hacer en un futuro. Entonces quería que, que haya leyes que, no nos, que nos protejan y que no nos dejen en la, en la calle para que podamos estar aquí en paz como si fuera nuestro hogar otra vez es todo nada más uh, do we have a translator available for on staff we do not I can translate it again, but basically, basically he was saying that um, lived in the park for more than 10 years. He's really worried about what's going to happen. There are people who are elderly and disabled. They are worried um, there need to be laws in place to protect 
the residents. That's basically the job. Alinda, no, Bonora. Linda Nolmanora. Um, I live at Avalon Mobile Home Park. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being here. And thank you for letting me speak. Um, gentleman before me had, prior to that had mentioned that he'd been here for many years. I too, since 1964, and clearly have a memory. In 1964, my mother driving past the wishing well on the boulevard right by Center Street and Avalon. Thought it was one big trailer park. And my and I said, Mom, what a dump. Who would ever live there? In 1964. And she turned around and she said to me, those are people living there, honey. And as I grew up, as I was schooled, as I went to UC Berkeley and worked at UC Berkeley many years, I have two older brothers. I have a, sorry. I have a medical condition that I wasn't supposed to live until 58. I am still here, thankfully. The people at Avalon, because I have no extended family, they are my family. They have helped me in so many ways. And please tell, I keep hearing affordable housing. What's $1,100 a month, get you? There is no affordable housing at $1,100 a month. I'd like to know. I am in every single program that I've researched that I can be in. I can't, I don't know the inside of the details of the overlay because I kind of don't understand it, but please consider it, please. I don't, like I said, I do not have extended family. The people that you've seen speak, they are my family. I would very, very much like you to consider this, please. It's, I will be homeless. And I don't know what I'm gonna do with all my sewing machines. Thank you. Thank you very much. Wendy, you're on the line. You have two minutes to speak. Um, hi, my name is Wendy Johnson. Um, I live at the Paradise Trailer Park. Um, we know for sure it has been put up for sale. Um, our, our property, I think, might be a little different because there is a lot more property around the park that is also going up for sale. Um, as Nora had mentioned earlier, um, once the daughter of the owner took over, she realized it was $5,000 to remove a unit. She just started taking them out. She didn't want to have to deal with people. Um, we pretty much figured she was trying to get everybody out so that less people would be displaced later. Um, she was buying trailers for $5,000 and then um, tearing them down. Um, where I sit right now, there are four empty units, six empty spots, um, just where I can see out my window. Um, my brother, who also lives here, is on Social Security and we have to pay his extra bills now that we have to pay garbage, we have to pay um, electricity, um, more, more utilities have been added on. Um, there's so many people here that are worried, they don't know what is going to happen. We have an 84 year old man that's blind, 
We have a recluse woman that hasn't come out of her house in four years. Um, people are just very scared. Um, so whatever you guys can do to help would be greatly appreciated. And thank you for your time. Thank you very much. Ralph Watkins. Hi, I'm Ralph Watkins, and I'm actually the listing broker for that property on East 14th, the Paradise Mobile Home Park. There's more to it as well. Um, I don't quite understand why an overlay would help provide additional affordable housing. Um, there's a million different ways to help the park residents stay housed and in a new product versus being many times dilapidated 25 to 50 year old product. Why don't we come up with productive, constructive solutions for those people in those parks for the, to keep them housed? that would be much more uh, appropriate way to address this than an overlay on everything no matter what the condition what the position of the property is the potential for new housing units that particular property is six to one every 20 minutes we'd have six a lot of affordable housing. That's what it's being marketed to, affordable housing developers. So I think that this should be taken into consideration with all of these parks. Doing an overlay for everybody is not the right answer. Thank you. AC, you're on the line. You have two minutes. Hi there. Um, from Avalon Mobile Park. So one of the things that is of great, great concern and why we are really requesting the uh, overlay here is because if you look at the reputation that precedes these co corporate mobile home investors, you will see that they have a reputation for doing this. There's a playbook that they follow. We are not making things up. These are These are not just panic allegations all you have to do is go online and see what they do if you look as a matter of fact right now you can google three pillars petaluma you will see that they are in the process of arbitration with petaluma because they didn't get their way of increasing in a senior part what close to 900 dollars, something crazy like that another 300 percent rent increase out there so this is not a one-off situation at Avalon. This is repeated behavior over and over. And when they get their hand slapped, that's when they say, oops, uh, we didn't know. Sorry, let's take it back. So as much as we want to trust the new corporate owner that owns 72, 73 mobile parks all over, it's kind of hard to do that with that type of reputation. It's kind of hard to do that when as soon as they took over the Avalon Mobile Park, we just started having all kinds of discrepancies back and forth on our uh, rental statements. And forget about management being around. They're not around. And you try to contact them. They don't respond. They talk down on you as if, you know, they could do whatever they want. So 
I ask, how are we supposed to trust that with that type of reputation? You know, they're suing the city of Petaluma, Three Pillars and Harmony Community, Matt Davis, because they didn't get their way out there. You know, there's another park out there, I think it's called Littlewood. They received an increase of a thousand something dollars, something ridiculous. Jason, I mean, can, you, can you wrap it up, please? Yeah, it's just we need the overlay protection to ensure that our homes are secured. And we're asking for your help with that, please. Thank you. Thank you very much. I have no additional speakers for this item. Okay, last call for anybody in the room that might want to speak on this item that hasn't already spoken. All right, I will close public comment at this point. And uh, I, I want to thank everybody that has come here in person, uh, been online, um, shared your feelings, your thoughts, your knowledge. Uh, it's much appreciated. You have been heard. I um, just want to reinforce that what we're doing here tonight, the Municipal Advisory Council, we are not voting on on anything. We're here to provide advice and comment and maybe a little bit of guidance um, as as this overlay gets further thought about. So I, I don't want to set false expectations um, as far as that goes. I, this is one of the toughest, the toughest things, um, you know, we have. 19 parks, um, a number of them are local small business. Um, and these 19 parks uh, create 600 households. And many of those households are on fixed incomes. And it, it's, um, you know, costs go up everywhere. What's manageable, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a real, real, uh, tough thing. I, I do have one question for, for Mr. Weisfield and then one question for Mr. Lopez before turning it over to the council. Um, could you just give us a, a ballpark in terms of after you walked back the erroneous rent increase, what are the what are the rent ranges in your park in at Avalon? Sorry about that. Market rents are between 1300 and 1400 for new move-ins. Okay. Uh, residents who've been in place for a long time are typically between 450 and 650 in that range. And we went back to a 4% increase. And are there other charges for utilities and services? Yes. Um, when we took over the park, there were seven or eight different billing schemes in place, which was really complicated and was not explained to us by the prior owner. So we made billing errors, which we did our best to rectify. And it is my understanding that all those have been rectified. If anybody has any outstanding utility billing issues, please let me know tonight with your lot number and we'll get it fixed ASAP. It's my understanding that they were all resolved. And, and my question was not... Anything other than curiosity, I just need to know the boundaries of, of Thank what you. we're looking at. Thank you. Um, Albert, are you? There you are. Thank you. Um, just a, a couple of questions on on behalf of, uh, I think, the council, so everyone doesn't doesn't ask it. What's the what are the ordinances that are going to the board next week? What, what, what are they going to be? What's the focus of, of them? Yeah, 
Yeah, I think actually Jennifer could better answer that gotcha. question because uh, they are originating from our HCD department, gotcha. not planning HCD. But if uh, you had a zoning overlay, I could be happy to answer that. Sure. Just real quick. Um, couple of folks, and I'm going to include myself with those couple of folks, um, have, have expressed that don't exactly know what an overlay is. Um, what what does this overlay overlay in, in terms of zoning and what's underneath it? And why is it a separate entity from just a mobile home zoning designation? Sure, sure. That's a good question. Um, so most of the... Uh, mobile home parks do have a base zoning. Um, and so an overlay would lay on top of that. Um, so it's, it's pretty much what it sounds like. Uh, the base zoning would, varies uh, likely because there are, you know, there's many, many different parts of the county where you will find mobile home parks. For example, the zoning in uh, downtown Castro Valley along the boulevard would be different than along East 14th. Um, but it is likely to be some form of like either residential or mixed use type of uh, zoning. And so um, uh, the overlay is, is, like it suggests, it's another layer of land use regulation that would be specific to mobile home parks. And as I mentioned in my presentation, it could um, have additional policies that would need to be followed by uh, the landowner, just like the base zoning would. And uh, the content of, of the overlay is sort of, you know, you know we're not there yet. Uh, we don't have a draft of, the, of that ordinance. Um, and so it, if we do end up um, going in that direction, there's probably going to be a number of community meetings that have to be held and, and we'll take our direction somewhat from the board and the planning commission as those, as those processes go forward. Uh, so, I mean, hopefully I answered your question. Yeah, about you it. Okay. Thank you very much. Sure. Jennifer, if you can. Go Thank on, you. No. Am I on now? Oh, I am. Um, we have uh, one item going to the board next week. It's an amendment to the current rent civilization ordinance, and it fixes that broken link with regard to the definition of RVs that I mentioned. It actually ties it to the state definition uh, by reference, which would make um, RVs have the same protections as mobile homes if they've been in place nine months or longer in one spot. We had an urgency ordinance, a moratorium, if you will, going at the same time in December um, as a result of the um, illegal rent increase that was going on in Avalon Mobile Home Park. We wanted to freeze any chance of that happening before um, the board was able to hear uh, this item. But since the owner did roll back mm -hmm. that rent increase, uh, we are withdrawing the urgency ordinance. So we're only going forward with the one that corrects the definition. Thank you. Appreciate the clarification. Okay. Um, let us start with uh, Council Member Moore again. <laughs> Thank you. Um, just a, a couple of questions on the um, clarification between an RV and a um, a um, Mobile home. I think mobile homes have an, uh, a state identification sticker on them that you pay a fee to the state for every year. Is that correct? Like, um, that is a great question. I'm not yeah. sure. Uh, Thank you. Yeah, they have a, a, a identifier. So if we were to adopt the RV identification uh, or the same um, classification as a um, mobile home. Would they have to go to the state and get a sticker 
that would say that this is now not a RV, but it is a mobile home that they would be using? Under our ordinance amendment proposal, they would not need to be do that to do that. They would de facto become a mobile home uh, if they were in place for nine months and they wouldn't need to do anything with the state. Um, when I think I remember right some time ago when you're in an RV or and you stay in a place for longer than so many days, you get granted some rights. Is that like over 30 days or something? For it, our uh, ordinance amendment, it's nine months. And for the state, it's nine months it as is well. Nine months. Okay, because I've heard different counties have different kind of guidelines on that. At least with regard to rent stabilization and the mobile home, the state mobile home residency law, it's the nine month period. It is nine months. Okay. Um, okay. I mean, so basically we're going to go to, you're going to go to the board, ask the board to adopt the nine months and they will get the same treatment as a mobile home and their recent rent increases can only max out at 4%. Correct. What if um, someone has some significant infrastructure that needs to be repaired in a park? Um, is that addressed outside the 4%? I'm glad you asked that question. So we have a process in place in our ordinance for what we call non-standard rent increases. And if a park owner wishes to have a rent increase that's over 4% for some of the same reasons you mentioned, they can come to HCD with that request and we'll evaluate it. Um, I will say that in the several years uh, since 2017 that we've had this ordinance, uh, I don't believe we've had any non-standard rent increase requests. Okay, great. I just want to make sure that, that we don't tie someone's hands to a point where infrastructure becomes a real issue and, um, and, and they can't continue to improve or make the park better for the residents that are there. Absolutely. And that's why we're so appreciative of the collaborative process that the Alikans referred to, because that was one of the points that the park owners had brought up as being important um, in our rent stabilization ordinance. Great. Thank you for the clarification. And uh, I, I think it's, you're moving in the right direction in my mind. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Shannon? Yeah, I have a question for county staff. Um, I guess with the with the ordinance, the property owners are required to have a, a CRI um, evaluated if they wish to sell and relocate residents. Is that what I'm understanding? That's actually not part of our rent stabilization ordinance. That's part of state law. So the state law requires that um, the property owner of a mobile home park must uh, undergo the CRI. Correct. CIR, yes. Sorry. That's okay. Um, so is that... If they skip that part, um, when they begin negotiations with residents, and for example, I think I read here that in one of the studies for the parks in Castor Valley, some of the residents were moved for lower than the determined amount that they were owed. Is anything retroactive? You know, we did evaluate that with regard to the Trotel Mobile Home Park um, and determined that was really hard to do because the residents had moved away at that point. We, we struggle because right now we have uh, sort of a voluntary registration system in place uh, that we started doing when we had the ordinance discussions. 
you know, but it's voluntary. So we don't really have a great handle necessarily on what's going on in the parks until people tell us. If there are permits required, then we do have some leverage to get those CIRs done. And in fact, for Trotel, we worked very closely with the planning department um, and had meetings with them and the park owners to really explain the ramifications of not getting the CIR done. But prior to someone giving us a heads up that things are happening in the park, we just don't have a great sense. Would an overlay change any of that? You know, that's a great question. I think that might be a question for Albert. I mean, certainly um, additional local regulations. Our experience at HCD has been that when we have local regulations, uh, you know, people are more likely to be aware of them. You know, so the amorphous state law that we have no enforcement mechanism over tend to be a little more challenging. Um, but as to the specifics of, you know, what the overlay um, could trigger, I think I would I would leave that to our plan director. And I'm who is oh I, I would just say that it could. Well, I think I was gonna say that it could. It really depends on the content of the ordinance. Um really would kick in if you wanted to change something. Like if you wanted to redevelop the park or change the use, then all the regulations that were in the overlay would apply. So it would really depend on what those are and then what the change is uh what what's being proposed. But an owner could could reach out individually to the residents, offer them an amount that is determined to be less than what they should be receiving if they're to relocate. And it, it wouldn't really change. There's no stopgap there to really address that issue if the process begins before the county is aware of it. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, I think that that would be, I mean, there is a state process that, that sort of dictates what could happen in the overlay. I mean, you know, I don't have, we haven't done the research on that particular issue, so I, I really can answer that. Okay. Sorry. That's okay. Um, I had one other question. I think I forgot. Um, it, who, who is responsible for enforcing the ordinances? Because it sounds like a lot of work has gone in to create um, a process and protection for residents but they're not being enforced. So this this came to light because the residents were being grossly unfairly treated. It, it was something that was, and it's since been corrected because they mobilized together. Um, but who was in charge of enforcing these ordinances and and how, how can something like this, let's say, you know, it's going to take time if we do decide to move forward with an overlay, it takes time. So in the meantime, who is who is responsible for making sure that these ordinances are being enforced? And, and I think that enforcement is, is a key word in Castor Valley for a lot of things. So with regard to our local ordinances, the county is responsible for the enforcement. We've had conversations about that with county council. You know, you could file for injunctive relief if you feel like the ordinance is not being followed and things like that. Um, you know, if... Um, if there are issues with regard to unlawful detainers and evictions, that's when residents really need their own counsel because the county's counsel is not counsel for the residents. They're there to sort of, you know, uh, defend the ordinances that the county puts into place. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Shannon. Ken? Okay, that's better. Okay. Um, majority of the questions that I've been wanting to ask are getting kind of answered in different ways. My my question is, you know, the concerns of the residents are valid and 
there's two different processes here. There's one that, that it was there's one that's been created that a lot of work went into. And you just said something that concerns me because if it falls over onto code enforcement for Alameda County, now that becomes another concern because if they're looking to code enforcement to help them, or I mean, there, there could be a problem here. Is it Alameda County code enforcement that handles this or is it something completely different? No, it's not. It's not code enforcement that enforces the ordinances. I don't know if that's what Albert was going to say. Okay. That was not what I intended. To say. Okay. So in this, so in this case, we have these uh, possible enforcement to the existing policies and pieces that are put together that you guys worked on, right? Yes. Is it? Would it be better or easier and faster to do exactly what you're doing, and that is making amendments to these ordinances? and resolving these small stop gaps within what you've already created than trying to start something all over again? You know, that's a great question. I would say that we had a fairly extensive stakeholder and public process with regard to the ordinance. What we're doing right now is ministerial in nature. If we were going to attempt substantive changes to the ordinance, we would want to engage in another extensive public process. Uh, and an overlay would also involve an extensive public process. So I'm not sure one would be easier than the other. But I mean, basically um, the changes that you're gonna make and if the um, ordinance ordinances were enforced that you already have in place, would we be here tonight? Well, we're here tonight, um, my understanding is because the residents uh, requested a discussion about the overlay. So okay. uh, notwithstanding that, we would not be here tonight to discuss the definition change of the ordinance. Okay, but the changes that you're about to make will help them um, in moving forward to solve, resolve some of these issues. It will certainly clarify uh, the ordinance, yes. Okay, thank you. That it, Ken? That's it. Thank you. Uh, Council Member Thomas. Thank you, sir. Just a quick question for Albert. Um, how long does this overlay take? How long the process, the whole process can be quick or how long does it take? Uh, as, as I mentioned, the it's technically pretty straightforward, but um, like anything that we do, it uh, requires a community process. And uh, depending on how long that process um, takes, uh, and that will kind of drive the actual the length of time. So, you know, it could be as fast as, as a couple of months or if it's an extended community process with lots of back and forth between, for example, uh, park owners and the residents, then that could, you know, that could um, take some time to do. So I would say, you know, you're looking at somewhere between, I don't know, maybe 60 days to six months if um, we started doing that right away. And the owner is saying that he wants to take responsibility. He wants to switch some stuff. He want to make it right. So, you know, can this overlay process go away if, uh, if they're all happy? If, the, if, if it, what he's promising happens, can the overlay process go away? Or, or yeah, that... well, that's not really for me to say. I think that if there's community support and there's political support for an overlay, then then we'll certainly will do one. Okay. And also, there's a yeah. Besides you, I'm just gonna. Uh, I think I'm. This a question is for the owner. Right? So the residents are concerned that if the owner cannot raise rents, they will move to close the park. Is that true? We don't want to close the park. Thank you. And last thing I want to say is, uh, I also came in as an immigrant, and we have four kids, four sons. 
and the parents lived in a two-bedroom apartment. So I know what low income means. And, you know, some of us get successful. There's always going to be low income. There's always going to be uh, middle income, high income, high earners, the, the top 1%. But we all have to work together and make it make it happen. So, you know, everybody's happy. So this situation has been created and a lot of people are upset. But if we can, if we can, if we can ratify this in a nice way, I'm all for it. Otherwise, uh, one more question: What is what is the point of this meeting? Um, you know, I know it's information, <laughs> informational item. Ouch! Um, no. So um, the uh, the my understanding is the the residents wanted a discussion about the possibility for overlay, and Supervisor Miley was supportive of that, so it was placed on the agenda. Okay, got it, got it. So you know, we got the discussion through, and hopefully, when it's you know, we cannot do the, the reason I asked that this is not an action item. So we need to come back and work on this if it's going to keep on going. So, you know, hopefully it doesn't get there. That's all. Thank you. Thank you, Tojo. Uh, Vice Chair Padro. Thank you, Mr. Chair, and good evening, everyone. First of all, I'd like to acknowledge every person, both online and in person, that has taken the time to express your concerns and some of your feelings as well. I believe the MAC has heard you loud and clear. I just one clarification, Albert, if I may. A lot of people here this evening have asked for an overlay. However, I'm not sure if anyone here really understands, would that in fact answer all the concerns that have been voiced this evening, not only for Avalon Mobile Home Park, but others, Paradise or whatever else that are included. Would would that action besides getting clarification between a mobile home versus a uh, a recreational vehicle, would that overlay process or approach address all the concerns that we've heard this evening? Well, I'll try my best to answer that. I, I think that um, doing a little bit of research on what other cities and jurisdictions have done for their overlay, it definitely uh, sort of writes into local law and ordinance, right, um, that that uh determines what the land use is uh, the permitted land use for that particular parcel and in many times what i was able to see is that they write into the the ordinance that it's for mobile home parks that they should be protected um that they are a uh, affordable housing resource for the community that's sort of the flavor of what i was able to pick up so um, if you wanted to deviate from that and do something different for example close the park and and build a new development there there's going to have to be a zoning change or a general plan change. So it does add another layer of regulation and community process uh, before that could happen. Um, I, mean, I, I don't know enough about a mobile home park overlay uh, to speak further than that. I mean, it's kind of a new concept. We don't have one now. I've never worked on one personally. Um, but I think through a community process, the question would, would, uh, would have to be asked is like, what do you what do you want it to do? And is it illegal? Is that possible? Can you do that with an overlay? And that that sort of dynamic would have to be played out, I think, in a, in a very public way. Um, when we get more familiar with it, the community gets more familiar with it. We get our county council to give us opinions of what what an overlay can and cannot do. And then we you know we go we go along and and uh, work through that process. So that's uh, um, that's the extent of what I know an overlay can do. Um, just sitting here tonight. Okay, and I believe that even gave us further clarification of what it can or cannot do, because it's just not a panacea for 
to fix everything. I, I doubt it would be, yes. Yeah, I, mean, I, I think it's another... I'm sure that we weren't making any promises or potential future ideas that the community thought, oh, gosh, we're going to address this with the, with the famous word of overlay. You know, sure. Yeah, I think it's probably going to be like a lot of things that we do another, uh, you know, tool in our toolbox in, in addition to the uh, rent stabilization ordinance and state law all working together um, um, to be able to uh, to, to, get, to create some certainty about the future of the mobile home parks. Thank you very much. Yeah. One more item before I pass it back to chair, and that is, Mr. Westfield, I want to acknowledge your contribution this evening and your presence. Uh, I think we as a MAC have heard that you representing the ownership has certainly heard the residents in front of us this evening. And you sound like you want to be a solid, consistent business partner. So thank you for that. And I encourage the residents here and as well as online to take Mr. Westfield's offer up this evening or get his contact information uh, so that he can hear your concerns. Some of you mentioned the fact that you've tried contacting multiple times, both verbally and in writing, texting, et cetera, and you've gone unanswered. To me, it sounds like Mr. Westfield and his staff wish to hear and acknowledge and respond to your concerns. So take that advantage as well. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Um, thank you, Vice Chair Padro, and just a few questions from myself. Um, has has HCD or planning considered what other options other than an overlay have been considered for solving the problem, which I understand it is the residents really do not want an opportunity to have their housing sold out from under them. So, okay. Um, what other options have been considered in addition to an overlay? Or do any apply? That's a great question. Uh, you know, the overlay came up because Castro Valley just passed one, and we've been in conversation with Sonoma County and the city of Petaluma because they're having challenges with uh, corporate mobile home park owners, and Sonoma County, I believe, just passed an overlay, so that was um, something we were having conversations about because uh, it was germane to recent conversations we had had. I'm not sure. Uh, what else could solve this issue, but we're certainly willing to and happy to go and look at what other jurisdictions are doing, because this isn't just uh, a unique issue to Alameda County. Gotcha. And I'd be happy to bring that back to the council if there was interest. Yes, there is. Thank you. Yeah, and I've had the same answer. I mean, I think that we we were asked to present um, mm -hmm. on an overlay, so sure. we've done that. There's probably... Um, other things that we could do in terms of like general plan policies, mm -hmm. for example, um, that we can explore. Um, but uh, we're open to um, seeing where that process takes us. Good. Um, one of my questions, Albert, was was you know how would an overlay impact future planning considerations? Short term example being the downtown specific plan. Mm -hmm. um, would we? Would there be handcuffs on a development of the specific plan? How how would that function? Well, the documents would have to be consistent, and so if we were to, for example, uh, create a um, mobile home park zoning overlay that had certain policies and goals and objectives in it, uh, the specific plan would have to be consistent with that. 
And so um, that, as you know, that plan's under development. And so yeah. depending on who kind of gets there first, we'd have to make sure that there's just, you know, horizontal and vertical consistency between all the documents that the county has. So therefore, I mean, if I'm hearing you correctly, um, there is the potential for um, a mobile home overlay um, to define the options that are available that may be available in development of the specific the downtown specific plan uh i don't think i that's exactly what i said i think what i meant was that there's nothing that would prevent the specific plan from moving forward mm -hmm. but that it would have if if there was a overlay created and that was adopted by the board first for example sure then that uh, the, the specific plan would have to reflect that as well. It would have to be consistent. I understand. And there wouldn't be anything that would prevent the specific plan from moving forward. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Um, I don't have it. I, I really appreciate the input from, from council. Some excellent questions and points. Uh, Can I just ask a clarification? Is that okay? Please. Uh, Jennifer, um, I, I'm not a, you know, the... I don't know the policies and stuff on the ordinance. So added vacancy decontrol. What does that mean? So vacancy decontrol means that the rents, at least in Alameda County, uh, can be raised to whatever the market will bear when the space becomes vacant um, or the coach is sold to somebody else. Some jurisdictions have vacancy control um, or partial vacancy control which says, no, you got to hold the rent to whatever it is, even if someone new moves in. Or, you know, you can raise it a little, but it's, it can't be more than the maximum of the current rent in the park. Uh, what we have is you can raise it to whatever the market will allow. Okay, thank you. Good, thank you. Um, I guess for, for me, in summary, I, I, I would offer that I can't speak for an overlay. I can't speak against an overlay. I don't know in, in this case, the devil's in the details. You know, what what is it going to say that impacts the residents, that impacts the investor, the owner, that impacts the rest of the community? Um, I, I don't have enough detail yet to say, yep, I stand behind that or no, that's a bad idea. Um, just need to hear more, and, and I'm grateful that that um, there's a willingness to come back with other options and maybe a little bit more flesh on the skeleton of, of what a zoning overlay may look like. Because we certainly we certainly want to protect um, the small businesses that are doing a great job of, of running mobile home communities, and we want to make sure that there are no abuses, that there are nothing, that there's nothing that that um, leaves the um, the residents more vulnerable than any of the rest of us. Um, I don't want that at all. So um, I thank everybody for being here. Thank uh, Planning Department and HCD for your, your good work and good input and look forward to see what comes back. Thank you. We look forward to coming back. Right. Uh, does does anyone on staff have any announcements, comments, thoughts? Okay. 
council, any thoughts, announcements, comments for the good of the order? We can give a quick summary of our subcommittee. Please do. Uh, so we met last Thursday. Um, subcommittee is council member Carbone, council member uh, Thomas and myself with Eileen Dalton and Jamie Orfanos. Uh, we discussed um, our goals and how we can align our goals and our vision for the community. One really important goal was um, how to uh, how to um, move forward with a better public perception of, of doing business and be bringing economic development to Castro Valley um, and how we can work together to make that a reality. Um, we were definitely aligned in that goal. Um, we talked um, about addressing the issues that we hear commonly about opening up a business in in Castro Valley, unincorporated Alameda County, and the challenges. Um, they're not unfamiliar, but we we discussed them and uh, how we could, as a council and a subcommittee, uh, work to um, address them. Uh, how each of the agencies works very independently and in a silo, and how we can work to unite that and make the process easier for, and to make Castro Valley more attractive for economic and then social uh, development. Cool, sounds like a great meeting. It was, I, I think awesome. it was productive. Yeah. And our next meeting will be on February, is it 16th? Thursday, Thursday the 16th? Yeah, Thursday. Yes. So we'll be having another subcommittee meeting next month. We are going to meet at least once a quarter. And now at the beginning, we discussed meeting a little bit more frequently as we're just getting started. But um, basically it's it's to um, align our goals and then advocate for those goals as a community. Cool, thank you. Yeah. Any other comments, thoughts from, from council? I have none, so I wanna thank everybody again for being here. Thank you to our hardworking staff for making this meeting work. And uh, Owen, did you have anything? No, sir, I did not. Thank you. All right, everybody. Meeting is adjourned at 8.47 p.m. Thank you. Oh, safe.